What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chickens. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the... You know what? (laughs) It's only a game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hold on, bitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer... To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. We are live from the University of Akron, ladies and gentlemen from Northeast Ohio and beyond. This is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk. My name is Jacob Murin, and I am the host of this very special edition of SPT. Joining me today are my analysts. First, he is a Zips enthusiast and a well-rounded sports mind. He is Pat Weber. Let's go, Zips. And second, my rival up here at WZIP Sports. He's wearing a Baker Mayfield shirt today. It's Logan Congro. What's going on, Jake? Of course, we will be getting into the recent news in the NFL with Deshaun Watson and getting into the MLB with the trade deadline. But as I mentioned, this is a very special edition of Sports Power Talk. Not only will we have the first edition of Hot Mike where we're going to answer all your questions on the back end of today's program on Twitter at WZIP Sports. But as many of you may know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame festivities took place this week in Canton. And we have some special coverage for you from the enshrinement ceremony yesterday. We'll also recap the Hall of Fame game itself. But it's important that I introduce two other analysts who will be joining us throughout the show. Marcus Anderson and Matt Permuka are at the roundtable event right now in Canton. The event will start in an hour, but as I said, they'll be with us all show long to report on anything and everything from the Hall of Fame. It looks like we're having some technical difficulties with the phones. We'll hear from Matt Permuka and Marcus Anderson as soon as we can get them on the line. But until we hear from them... Let's get right into the Hall of Fame game that took place on Thursday between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's talk about the Hall of Fame game. The Raiders won 27-11 to to improve their record in the Hall of Fame game to a perfect 4-0. Number one pick, Trayvon Walker, showed promise for the Jaguars as he played two drives, had a sack, and pressured the quarterback multiple times. What do you guys have for me on the Hall of Fame game? Not really too surprised by the outcome here. I mean, even though Jacksonville had the number one pick, we don't expect them to do much. Um, I'm a big fan of the Hall of Fame game. I'm going to be honest. I like seeing both teams like bench uh, benches being able to play. So it was a great game. I thought, like you said, Trayvon Walker had a lot of promise. Um, you know, being that number one overall pick, getting the sack, playing those two drives. But overall, I mean, I don't think I'm really too surprised by the outcome of this game. 
I would also say I'm not too surprised by the outcome of that game. Uh, I think both of these franchises have a lot of promise. I think that the Raiders are a sleeper contender to view, to make some noise in the playoffs. And obviously the Jaguars, they still have some work to do as a franchise. But with the addition of Trayvon Walker, it would be, it'd be no surprise to see them make some noise this season as well. Yeah, very true. Jarrett Stidham, the backup QB for the Raiders, completed eight of his 15 passes for 95 yards. Stidham had a 12-yard rushing touchdown in the game and should have had a long touchdown pass if it weren't for a drop by receiver Tyron Johnson. In terms of the MVP of the Jaguars and Raiders game, who do you guys have for most valuable player? I've got to give it to the man, the myth, the legend of the USFL, Mr. Kyle Slaughter. I miss seeing him. I'm going to miss seeing him in a Breakers jersey. But, I mean, didn't play bad. 52% completion rate, 127 passing yards, one touchdown to zero interceptions. I love seeing him suit up in the NFL one more time. Again, it's more of an emotional reason for me because he was on the Breakers, and I'm a huge Breakers fan, so i got to give it to Kyle Slaughter. Yeah, and before we get to the MVP for Logan and I, I believe we now have Matt Premuka and Marcus Anderson at the Canton Civic Center. Let's just talk about the MVP. Go ahead, Logan. Take it away for the Jaguars-Raiders game. Uh, I'm going to go with Jared Stidham, uh, quarterback for the Raiders. Uh, Stidham obviously spent some time in the Patriots organization, and obviously you can learn a lot there, and he clearly brought that over to the Raiders organization, and I think he will be a valuable asset for them going forward behind Derek Carr, and I thought he played well in the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, absolutely. I almost picked Jarrett Sidham, but my MVP might be a little bit of a cop-out here, but I picked Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the Raiders. He's taken over for the head coaching role for the Raiders very well so far. He brought in Stidham, who looks like he'll be a very serviceable backup to Derek Carr this season. The Raiders' offense was easily able to carve away at the Jaguars, and McDaniels wasn't afraid to test his running backs in the first preseason game of the year as Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake both got playing time, which you love to see. So now that we have broken down the Hall of Fame game itself, let's get into the enshrinement ceremony that took place yesterday afternoon at Tom Benton Hall of Fame Stadium. Marcus Anderson and I were both in attendance, but gentlemen, let's go through each inductee by starting with Leroy Butler. Before we get into Butler's career, here are the highlights of the legendary safety speech at the enshrinement ceremony. When you play for the Green Bay Packers, a lot of doors open up. When you win a Super Bowl, all doors open up. But when you make the Hall of Fame, football heaven opens up. Coach Belger, Coach Warner, and Leon Barrett, he's the one that's trying to stop smiling so much and be tough, but I can't, Coach. But my life changed at Florida State. I was a Prop 48. Coach Bobby Bowden drives into the inner city, into the projects. I say, Coach, you can't just drive up in here. You got to ease your way down. I'm telling Miss Butler, I'm giving your baby a scholarship. My life changed with the Packers. Now, I want a few guys up here, maybe the only guy up here, to say I don't go and say hello to fans that pick and save. I say hello to owners. So when Bob Harlan called me and said we're going to select you in the second round, it meant a lot to me. I love Lee Remo. He's the one that took the call for me. My teammates, I love y'all. Where else can you go, the ultimate team sport, that I can have a bad game every now and then, don't Google it, and my other 10 teammates carry me. So my teammates, I love them. 
And in closing, the volunteers, I met all 2,000 of you, maybe took 3,000 selfies. I love you, respect you. The voters, thank you. 16 years is a long time, but it's worth the wait. Thank you very much. What a great speech there from Leroy Butler saying it was worth the wait for him to be enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it seems like we finally have Matt and Marcus on the line live from the Canton Civic Center. Our live calls aren't working right now. We'll try and figure that out over the break and get them on for the remainder of the show. But gentlemen, let's talk about Leroy Butler, the legendary safety of the Green Bay Packers. He was a second-round pick in 1990 by the Packers. The Jacksonville native would go on to be a four-time Pro Bowler in his career, and he is the only NFL player to record three sacks and three interceptions in three straight years. Gentlemen, what do you have for me on the legend Leroy Butler? Got to give him respect where it's due. One of the greatest safeties to ever play the game of football. Like you said, he's had some legendary statistics, legendary career, led Green Bay on the defensive side of the ball, and you'd love to see him finally get that recognition. He so uh, just deserved it, man. Good for him. Yeah, like you said, um, only player in NFL history with three-plus interceptions and sacks in three straight seasons. Also the first player in NFL history with 20-plus interceptions and 20-plus sacks for a whole career. Um, Like Pat said, respect given where respect is due. A fantastic player, Super Bowl champion, and now a Hall of Famer, which is something that can never be taken away from you. Fantastic for Leroy Butler. Yeah, he is the Super Bowl champ in Green Bay, and he's known as the creator of the Lambeau Leap, a very traditioned and great celebration in the NFL, one of the best touchdown celebrations in the entire league. He was the creator and the founder of of the of the celebration the Lambeau Leap the Packers were 26 and 6 in games where Butler recorded an interception but let's talk about present day NFL players and I want a present day NFL player comparison to Leroy Butler Pat I'll send it to you first I feel like the guy I got to give that uh comparison to might have to be Tyron Matthew the Honey Badger their play style is both it's so similar. I mean, although Tyron Matthew, he is a little more physical than uh, Leroy Selman was, but they're both phenomenal safeties. They both get the job done on both sides of the field. One of the hardest-hitting safeties, just like Leroy Selman. i got to give it to the Honey Badger for that comparison. Oh, uh, this is tough for me. Honestly, I think I'm going to go... I kind of want to compare him to, like... I know Trevon Diggs is a corner, but what got me about comparing him to Trevon Diggs is the sack stat because Trevon Diggs is also on track to have lots of sacks in his career, let alone this season. And I think that that's a comparison I could see with Leroy Butler. Yeah, absolutely. I have Derwin James of the Chargers here for Leroy Butler. Both men are hard-hitting safeties who always flock toward the ball. And like Butler, James had a large frame for a safety, but still has the athleticism to make plays at any given moment in the game. So let's talk about Sam Mills, the next Hall of Famer to be enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was signed by the Saints in 1986 after being cut by the Browns and going on to play three seasons in the USFL with the Philadelphia Stars. Mills signed with another NFC South team in the Panthers in 1995 as a free agent where he established the keep pounding slogan as he was always considered to be too small to play football. Here's Melanie Mills, Sam's wife, who gave a speech that I can't help but tear up when to win listening. 
Sam was always ready to show you what hard work looked like. He led by example, and people followed. He was more than just a great football player. He was a father, a friend, a husband, and a leader who always kept pounding, no matter what the odds were. So thank you for this honor, for believing in Sam, and for helping to keep his story alive. Keep pounding, everyone. That's what Sam would want you to do. Keep pounding, everyone. That's what Sam would want you to do. Those words stuck with me after yesterday's enshrinement ceremony. Some great words there from the late, great Sam Mills' wife, Melanie Mills. It was a great speech, one of my favorites of yesterday's afternoon enshrinement ceremony. And Mills was diagnosed with cancer in 2003. He gave an emotional speech to the Panthers as they prepared for a playoff run. Mills said, quote, when I found out I had cancer, there were two things I could do quit or keep pounding i'm a fighter i kept pounding your fighters too keep pounding end quote mills passed away in april of 2005 at the very young age of 45 years old but his legacy will now forever be cemented in the halls of canton ohio what do you guys have for me on sam mills rest in peace sam mills one of the greatest linebackers arguably of all time as he's now enshrined permanently in canton Love to see it keep pounding, like you said, the field mouse. You will be missed. Congratulations on finally making it to the Hall of Fame. Again, reiterating what Pat said, uh, rest in peace is Sam Mills, fantastic player, and now, like he said, permanently enshrined in Canton. Uh, I think it's super inspirational that he was able to give small guys a hope, a hope to play in this league, and I thought his wife's speech was super inspirational as well. Uh, keep pounding, absolutely, that's a great way to put it. Rest in peace, Sam Mills. Yeah, I didn't know where that keep pounding slogan came from until yesterday when I heard the story of the late, great Sam Mills. Who do you guys have in terms of his present-day NFL player comparison? In terms of how he played and not just based on height, I think I would compare him to a Micah Parsons where they're just so dominant playing at that linebacker position. I mean, you look at his stats over his entire career. He had a combined total of 1,265 tackles to go along with 20.5 sacks. Didn't get a whole lot of sacks, but in terms of tackling and just pure grit and determination, it reminds me, like I said, a lot of uh, Micah Parsons, so I got to give it to Micah Parsons for that comparison. Uh, my comparison is going to be Bobby Wagner, who just recently signed with the L.A. Rams. I think they play similar, and I think they have the same, honestly, less on the field, but off the field, they have the same level of just passion for the game. They have the same amount of, like, thought when they play they get into it with their team Uh, i think it's an emotional way to compare those two bobby wagner and sam mills yeah logan i completely agree with you here i also have bobby wagner for the the present day nfl player comparison for sam mills i could see wagner's jersey being retired one day in seattle just like mills number 51 jersey is retired in the rafters of the Carolina Panthers. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I believe we finally have Matt Permuka on the phone live from the Canton Civic Center here on the phone. Matt, are you there? Guys, did we finally get this to work? I believe so. You are heard, and I believe the audience can hear you as well, finally. Well, fourth time's the charm, gentlemen. Uh, well, Jake, Pat, Logan, I hope you guys are having a great day as long as all, as well as all of our listeners. I'm calling you guys live from the media booth in the Canton Civic Center for the Hall of Fame roundtable events. Uh, right now, all of the Hall of Fame members, their families, and a bunch of the media are starting to trickle in. 
We're surrounded by football royalty right now in a very intimate setting. It is probably one of the coolest experiences of my life. As far as the event goes, we're going to be having lunch with the Hall of Famers and their families around noon, followed by a Q&A from 1 to 2.30, I believe. Uh, if anything happens, Marcus and I will definitely call in to keep you guys updated. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you in the future, in the future segments of this very show. And I have to ask you, if there was one Hall of Famer that you could talk to at the roundtable, who would it be? Right. I'm going to have to go with current inductees because I know the current inductees will be there. I would have to say Dick Vermeil would be the one I would want to speak with out of this class. Such a great coach. He conducted the greatest show on turf. So excited to see him get into the hall. He was one of my favorite speeches yesterday. If I got the chance to talk to Coach Vermeil, that'd make my day. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Thank you for calling in, and we'll hear from you throughout the show. No problem, Jake. Back to you guys. All right. Thank you, Matt. We will hear from them throughout the show live from the Canton Civic Center. I do apologize for the technical difficulties that we had at the beginning of the show. But finally, we have connected with our live reporters from the Canton Civic Center. We'll talk about Dick Vermeil here in just a matter of minutes. But before then, let's talk about Richard Seymour, the defensive end and tackle. He was a sixth overall pick in the 2001 draft by the Patriots. He played 12 seasons in the NFL, including four with the Raiders, to end his playing career. What do you guys think of Richard Seymour making the Hall of Fame? Very well-deserved. I feel like he should have got it a little bit sooner, but nonetheless, congratulations to him on an absolutely stellar Career, He racked up a total of 498 tackles over his career, uh, 57.5 sacks, um, very dominant defensive lineman. Congratulations on being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. 100% agree. I think it's long overdue for Richard Seymour, actually. Richard Seymour, when this class originally came out, was the first name that really popped out to me. Uh, I remember Richard Seymour as a Patriot. And I think he definitely deserves to be here, and it's a big, big honor, obviously. Uh, Great for Richard Seymour. Like I said, big name. I think it was long overdue. He haunted me when I would watch him play the Steelers. He haunted our offensive line. I will never forget that, so... But like I said, nonetheless, congratulations. Well-deserved, enshrined with the all-time greats. Yeah, he haunted many teams and many offensive lines, that's for sure. His teams had a record of 46-8 and when he recorded a sack, and his 68-yard scoop-and-score touchdown remains a Patriots franchise record. Seymour was known for his versatility to play any position on the line, help those around him, and play great wherever and whenever coach Bill Belichick needed him to. The seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Super Bowl champion, and now he is a Hall of Famer in his fifth year of eligibility. In terms of a present-day NFL player comparison, Logan, I'll go to you first. I'm going to go with Ndamukong Sue. Uh, I think they are extremely similar, extremely similar in size, same positions, similar stats, both first-round picks. Uh, Ndamukong Sue reminds me a lot of Richard Seymour. I know Sue is... Not what he used to be, but if you look back on his Lions days, some of his, and honestly his days at Nebraska, I think that Seymour and Sue are extremely similar. I completely agree, but I'm going to have to, I like that comparison, but I have a different one. I'm going to go with Chase Young in terms of, like you said, Jake, the versatility that they both have on the defensive line. They can play any position that they need to on the defensive line. They're both very explosive, very strong linemen, and they both dominate the field in an absolutely unreal way. So I've got to give it to Chase Young for that comparison. 
Yeah, like both of your guys' comparisons here. I'm going to go with Chris Jones of the Chiefs, though. Like Seymour, Jones is a versatile player on the line as a defensive tackle and and even nose tackle in his career. Both Seymour and Jones are explosive off the line and are true team players as well. Now let's talk about the first ever official to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Art McNally. McNally was an NFL official for nine years before he was hired as the NFL supervisor of officials in 1968, where he held that position for 24 years. During his time, he installed the first formal film study program for training and evaluation of football officials. He is also known as the father of instant replay as he introduced the system into the game in 1986. There was a story told about McNally at the enshrinement ceremony yesterday where his number was available to people in a Philadelphia phone book. And when he had the time, he would actually respond to heckling fans on why the calls he made were correct. Here is McNally and his message that he delivered yesterday afternoon. The love of the game, the desire to go out onto the field every uh, weekend, to see to it that the game is played according to the rules of the National Football League. I'd also like to say that when they officiate, they officiate for those players on the field and for those respective coaches on the sideline who have tremendous pressure on them. And finally, for the number of people throughout the country, the millions of our fans whose passion and love of the game has made it so great. I am extremely fortunate to have been in this position. And once again, I'd like to thank the Hall of Fame. This is the greatest thing I think for an official. Do the job. Hopefully nobody's even going to know you're around. Make the calls the proper way the way they should be with a heavy dose of common sense. That was Art McNally yesterday at the Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium as he was the first official to be enshrined into the Hall of Fame. Guys, what do you think of Art McNally? Well deserved. I mean, what can I say? One of one of the greatest officials of all time. So well deserved. Like you said, the first official to be enshrined at uh, in Canton in the Hall of Fame. More than deserved. Congratulations. Absolutely, I second that 100%. One of the greatest officials ever, and as we said on WZIP Sports Twitter, uh, first NFL referee to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and was the head of official operations all the way to 2012, which is a total of 48 seasons. The longevity there is insane. Uh, fantastic career for McNally, and I hope that refs in today's day and age will take after him because lots of times they don't. Yeah, the Art McNally Award was introduced in 2002, is now presented to a current or formal official who embodies professionalism, leadership, and sportsmanship. Like I said, McNally is now the first on-field official to ever be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And talking about first, let's talk about Tony Baselli, tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He becomes the first Jaguar to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There was one aspect to yesterday's enshrinement ceremony that I noticed, and quite frankly, everyone should have noticed, and it was that Jacksonville Jaguar fans simply showed out. They easily outnumbered every other fan base at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, and Baselli said that it was a profound honor to be the first Jaguar to be immortalized in the halls of Canton, Ohio. He thanked his family, coaches, and teammates, but there was one word that made the entire crowd go nuts. Duval! 
Yes, the Duval chants were loud and were roaring through Tom Benton Hall of Fame Stadium. The five-time Pro Bowler played in Jacksonville for seven seasons, and he helped his team make the playoffs in four consecutive years from 1996 to 1999. Gentlemen, the Jaguars finally have their first entrance into the Hall of Fame. Like he said, Duval. You'd love to see it. Congratulations, not only to Tony Bosselli, but also the entire Jacksonville organization and fan base on finally getting that Hall of Famer. He deserved it. He is one of the greatest Jaguars of all time, one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history, and he is finally enshrined amongst the greats in Canton. Congratulations. Well deserved. Tony Baselli was another name that I quickly recognized when the original list came out for the Hall of Fame. Definitely deserving. Fantastic for the Jaguars fan base, a team that really for a long time hasn't had much to cheer for. And now they finally have a guy who can represent them in the Hall of Fame. Uh, fantastic career for him. So much, so much energy coming from Tony Baselli. Uh, honestly, probably my favorite inductee this year. Yeah, absolutely, and I can't blame me for that as well. Just the Jaguar fans were so electric at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium yesterday. Of course, Baselli was named the team MVP in 1998 after the Jags won their first division title. He's known for his foot speed, agility, and length for the position, and his he's his severe shoulder injury would end his career in 2001. In terms of that present-day NFL player comparison, who do you guys have? I got to give it to Trent Williams. They both play on the left side of the line. And let's be honest, in terms of pure strength, pure domination, these two guys are almost identical in the way that they play and the way that they move and their ability to shift around the line and make those key blocks. Like I said, Trent Williams is almost a mirror of Tony uh, Baselli. So originally Trent Williams was my pick, and I knew you were going to pick Trent Williams. One of you at least was going to pick Trent Williams. So I switched my pick to Ronnie Stanley of the Baltimore Ravens. Ronnie Stanley has been doing a great job protecting Lamar Jackson, and I can see him maybe one day being enshrined in Canton as well. I know he has a very young career right now coming out of Notre Dame in 2019, but I definitely can see Ronnie Stanley being similar to Tony Baselli. Yeah, I have Lane Johnson here from the Eagles. Johnson is only one inch shorter than Baselli, and Johnson is also known for being an athlete. Plus, like Baselli, Johnson has great foot speed with a great 40-yard dash time, and he is also a lengthy offensive lineman. Let's move on from Tony Baselli, though, and talk about Bryant Young, a defensive tackle and end. His seventh overall pick in 1994, he played 14 seasons with the 49ers. And here's Young in a speech from yesterday's enshrinement ceremony. In my opinion, this was easily the most powerful speech given by the 2022 class. He talks about his son, Colby, and there's no chance that I could do it justice. So take a listen and stay with us. I've introduced five of our children. Now I'd like to let you meet Colby. Born in August 2001, Colby loved life. He had an infectious smile, many interests, including football. He was a happy kid. In fall 2014, when he was 13, Kobe started having headaches. A CAT scan revealed a brain tumor. Kai had just had knee surgery and deserved our full attention, but our focus and hers shifted to Kobe. Five days later, surgeons removed the tumor and told us it was cancer. Kobe was back at school eight days later. His spirits were good. He had the heart of a lion. My injuries seemed trivial. 
Knowing radiation would weaken him, doctors told Kobe to give up football. It absolutely broke his heart. He turned the page and focused on basketball. The treatments were hard. Kobe showed immense courage. He felt good for months. We really were hopeful. The following October, Kobe said, Dad, I have a headache. The cancer was back. Doctors tried immunotherapy, but it has spread too far too fast. Kobe sensed where things were heading and had questions. He didn't fear death as much as the process of dying. Would it be painful? Would he be remembered? We assured Kobe we keep his memory alive and continue speaking his name. On October 11, 2016, God called Kobe home. Kobe. You live on in our hearts. We will always speak your name. I'll close with some lessons I've learned along the way. From my pain, I found purpose. Letting someone grab my hand is as important as reaching for theirs. In an isolated world, personal connections matter more than ever. I keep my gaze on Christ and pour myself into good works, including the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. And I've learned to trust God's plan and timing, not mine. And this, my 10th year of eligibility, I entered the hall as a member of its 22, 2022, 20, 22. It was Kobe's favorite number. Thank you. Not only did he have to struggle in life with his son, Colby, but he also recovered from a broken leg to win Comeback Player of the Year in 1999. This is just an incredible story and a very sad one. And what did you guys think of Young Story? And just isn't this just a wild story? It is indeed. I was trying not to get choked up a little bit listening to that over I here. Have, every single time I've listened to it, I have gotten a little choked up. Like you said, absolutely incredible speech. I mean, like he said, he did this for his son. Um, and now uh, not only can his name live on, but so can his sons in Canton. So congratulations, more than well-deserved. And I know for a fact that his son is very proud of him smiling down on him right now. Yeah, he was so happy, of course, when the tumor was out. And then the part of the speech where he said his son came up to him and said, I have another headache, that just completely gut-wrenching. Logan, what did you think? I think it takes a lot because a lot of guys would never give up their entire Hall of Fame speech to talk about someone else. And I think it is very, very, very awesome that he devoted his whole speech to his son. I definitely I got choked up a little bit as well. It's pretty cool to see how much he cares about his family and what, everything that he did for his family. And like Pat alluded to, it's awesome that now not only will Bryant Young live in Canton, but now that he gave his speech based off of his son, so will his son. Everybody will remember him for him and his son in Canton. 
Absolutely. Young won the 49ers Len Eshmont Award eight times for inspiration and courageous play, and no other member of the organization has won it more than twice. The four-time Pro Bowler and one-time first-team All-Pro won the Super Bowl with the 49ers in a 49-26 win over the Chargers in 1995. Present-day NFL player comparison time. Pat, who do you have? I think i got to give this comparison here to Cameron Hayward. Um, in terms of the positions they play at defensive tackle slash defensive end, um, their explosive ability to get to the quarterback, um, also relieve some of the pressure of some of the other uh, edge rushers. Like I said, watching um, Bryant Young play in the early 2000s is sort of like watching a young Cameron Hayward take to the field. I'm going to give mine to Aaron Donald. Actually, I was messing around last night doing some research. When you Google Bryant Young, there's two pictures of Bryant Young and then followed by that is a picture of Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald is a guy who is also a surefire Hall of Famer and a menace to offensive lines, just like Bryant Young was. Easy comparison there for me. Yeah, once again, all three of us have different NFL player comparisons here. Right here I have Cameron Jordan of the Saints. Since Young played 14 seasons with the same team, Jordan makes perfect sense to me as he is going into his 12th year with the Saints. Plus, both Young and Jordan are great on the line and are staples of the defenses they have played on. Let's talk about Cliff Branch, wide receiver, the fourth-round pick in 1972 by the Raiders. The four-time Pro Bowler played 14 seasons in the NFL with the Raiders, and he helped them win three Super Bowls in his time with the team. Branch passed away in August of 2019 at the age of 71, but his sister gave a great speech yesterday afternoon in his honor, where he talked about how his blood turned silver and black when he was drafted by the Raiders, and how she always admired the signs that said, speed kills number 21. What do you guys have for me on Cliff Branch? Like you said, speed kills. He was an absolute weapon to have on the offensive side of the ball. Finished his career with a Total of 8,685 receiving yards and um, 67 touchdowns. You know, like you said, speed kills. He was an absolute demon, a weapon to be uh, or force to be reckoned with out on the field. Congratulations. So well deserved. 100% agree. I wish I could have been alive to see this guy play. Um, obviously, a Raider to remember for always and forever. Um, like it says on Z88 Sports. Led the NFL in receiving yards and touchdown catches in 1974. 99-yard touchdown is the tied for the longest in league history. Three-time Super Bowl champion, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and now NFL Hall of Famer. I think that pretty much completes the resume for him. And although it's been a very long time since he played, it was definitely time for him to join the Hall. Yeah, absolutely. I wish he could have gotten in sooner to be a part of the Hall of Fame festivities. But nonetheless, his speed and agility, what was made Cliff Branch, Cliff Branch. He was a world-class sprinter. He was set NCAA records as well. And gentlemen, in terms of the present-day NFL player comparison, I think we all have the same name. But Logan, I'll go to you first for this one. Ooh. I'm going to go with Devontae Adams. Okay, I guess another, we don't all another have the same Raider. name. Another Raider. Uh, played very similar. Also, both just dominant receivers. I knew I was going to be different from you guys as soon as you said that. But, yeah, Devontae Adams, new Raider. is going to be my pick to okay. mirror Cliff Branch. All right, Pat, make, make some sense. I've got two okay. comparisons here. Now, one of them is probably who you also have, Okay, uh, and that being Tyreek Hill okay. in terms of his speed. Um, obviously, he's a little bit taller than Tyreek Hill, but in terms of his speed and it's just pure dominance with his agility, like I said, you just can't talk enough about his speed, his receiving ability. 
that's what makes me think of Tyree Kill. And then the other one I also have is uh, Deshaun Jackson, another very fast wide receiver. That's why I'm saying, you know, in terms of speed and agility, those two guys right Jay there blown away are there. right. They, they fit in perfectly with that. See, now I'm yeah. curious because I know for yeah, a fact what, that there's no, somebody else that you might have. No, it's not somebody else. I do appreciate the two player comparisons there. They both make sense. I have Tyreek Hill. I okay. look up okay. Cliff Branch, see that he was known for his speed. Without a second of a doubt, I'm going Tyree Kill for the present-day NFL player comparison. Hill is 5'10", and Branch is 5'11", so the height difference there is not by much. And while Hill obviously won't play for the same team in his entire career, Branch and Hill are both known for their electric speed and elusiveness to separate from defenders. Of course, the answer here is Tyree Kill and Logan I think another L for you right there for that. Man, Jake. Player. I don't I don't hate the Devontae Adams Thank comparison. You. I just don't think that would have been the first player to come to my mind. The Raiders, yeah. man. Absolutely. The I mean, Raiders. Yeah. I mean, but think about it. Deshaun Jackson also plays on the Raiders, though. Okay, and you picked him. I, yeah, but I'm just See? saying, like, I don't know if I would have. I mean, he plays for the same team, but I don't know if the skill set really applies. And it's not like we're picking. I think, I think in terms of receiving ability, yes. In terms of speed and agility, no. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not picking the same guys for the same team for the other comparisons but hey whatever logan just another l for you jake marina go why did you just tweet l logan (laughs) i'll get to you later yeah well uh we have to kind of break the fourth wall and talk about that later on with hot mike to end today's show but let's wrap up part of our hall of fame coverage of today's show by talking about the last entrance into the 2022 hall of fame class of course it's a legendary coach dick vermeil Guys, what do you have for me on Dick Vermeil? One of the greatest head coaches in sports history. Turned around three different franchises, made their cultures strong. There's words can't put like words can't describe how great of a coach, how great of a man he is. So well, like just so deserved. It's absolutely incredible to see him finally get that recognition. So congratulations on being enshrined forever in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I 100% agree. I can't believe he wasn't in sooner. He really is one of the greatest coaches of all time, oriented at the greatest show on turf, which is one of the most memorable teams ever with Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, all those guys. Um, I can't believe he was not in sooner, to be honest with you. And I might be the most, other than Richard Seymour and Baselli, might be the most prominent Hall of Famer in this class. 100%. Yeah, Vermeil is one of only seven coaches to lead two teams to a Super Bowl. His legacy will forever be enshrined in the halls of Canton, Ohio. Well, before we conclude our coverage of the Hall of Fame festivities, we realize that we are lucky and grateful to have the Pro Football Hall of Fame in our backyard in Canton, Ohio. But what about fans who make the trip and travel from out of state or across the country even? Here's WZIP sports reporter Dan Groen on the experiences of -of out-of-town fans. It's a place where legends are remembered, the birthplace of some of the greatest traditions in sports, a place where athletes around the world dream of becoming enshrined in, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, located right here in Canton, Ohio. Canton is the birthplace of the NFL, which began play in 1920 as the American Professional Football Association, and since then it has grown into one of the biggest brands of sports in the entire world. Pro Football Hall of Fame was founded in 1963 and for almost 60 years has honored some of the greatest athletes to ever play the game. To many Northeast Ohioans, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is often taken for granted being right in our own backyards. But to many others, it's a destination worth traveling across the entire country to visit.
I am from Dallas, Texas. We're from Jacksonville, Florida. I'm from New Jersey. Anaheim. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Fans of all teams come to the Hall of Fame for different reasons, but they are all united by one thing. What I like is that everybody here loves football, and they're all they're all here, and you never know who you're going to run into. You know, it's really fun to be in an area, too, where there's such a collection of different fans. Perhaps there's no better time to visit the Pro Football Hall of Fame than during enshrinement week at the beginning of every August. My favorite part is the gold jacket ceremony. I just like being around, seeing the, the players up close. Coming to the game and then the pre-game party. Yeah, pre-game party. Pre-game party. Pre-game party. Enshrinement week begins with the Hall of Fame Balloon Classic, where dozens of hot air balloons fill the sky in Canton, followed by an epic fireworks show. Next, there's the annual Hall of Fame game, which kicks off the first preseason game of the NFL season, marking a brand new era of football. Perhaps the most important event of Enshrinement Week is the induction ceremony, where football legends become officially immortalized in the Hall of Fame. Our great eight class of 2022. Enshrinement Week concludes in spectacular fashion with the Concert for Legends, being headlined this year by Journey. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is currently undergoing a major expansion that will include a seven-story hotel, a football-themed indoor water park, a retail promenade, and much more. This expansion is what some are calling the Disneyland of football, though it will be better known as the Pro Football Hall of Fame Village. Construction on the Hall of Fame Village began in 2016 and has been met with numerous financial and logistical obstacles. Nonetheless, fans are anxious to return to Canton when the Hall of Fame Village is complete. The renovations and expansion is going to be beautiful when it's completed. I, I'm excited. I see it change every year, so definitely looking forward to coming back when it's done. My son just said, once Aaron Rodgers is inducted, we're going to be back. We'll be back and we're going to see all the improvements. We, we just automatically plan to come next year now. The NFL has come a long way since it began play over 100 years ago, but they continue to honor their heritage by celebrating their roots. And what better place to do that than right here in Northeast Ohio? If you've never been here, you have to come. It's a, it's a great time. It's worth every dollar that you spend. If you have not come out here, you really need to come. It's a great event. The area is really nice, and the people are nice. And this is just a great energy, interacting with other fans from other teams. It's great. It's a huge camaraderie. For WZIP Sports, I'm Dan Groen. Go Niners. Go Cowboys. Do Thank you, Dan, and what an incredible piece that was. Guys, what did you think of Dan's package that he put together? It was great until I heard Go Cowboys. Um, but <laughs> other than that, no, seriously, fantastic package put together by our very own Dan Groen. Dan, great work. Loved listening in, learning a little bit about what it actually means to be a fan traveling on the road to go see your guys get inducted, traveling. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was awesome. Dan, that was awesome work, man. You should do voiceovers. Seriously, I can. I don't know if any of you listeners have been to the Hall of Fame. I'm assuming some of you have, considering the area we're in. But I don't know. If you guys go through the Hall of Fame, there's those buttons you press that tell stories. They, I think Dan Groen should be the next person reading those stories. The, the dude just has the voice for it. Awesome package, Dan. I learned a lot about traveling fans. And honestly, like I always knew that people came to 
to the Hall of Fame game and stuff, but I didn't realize like how far people are truly coming from. And I think the Hall of Fame is really something we take for granted living this close to it. A lot of us go one time and we're like, eh, yeah, it's there. But there are people that are traveling from super far to come and see this really awesome thing that we have 20 minutes down the road. So great way to bring attention to that, Dan. Awesome job. Yeah, well said, Logan. I can't agree more with you. And with that, we will conclude our coverage of the Hall of Fame festivities. Of course, we still have Matt Premuka and Marcus Anderson. Just a phone call away as we figure that out. They will report live from the roundtable event in Cannes throughout the show. Also, I will post our Around the Rue question to our Twitter page during the break, and then we'll debate the answer to the Hall of Fame question when we return. Football will remain the subject in our next segment as we get into the latest within the NFL. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. I'm your host. My name is Jake Murren, and I am joined by Pat Weber. Let's go Steelers. Or not. And <laughs> Logan Congrove. Boo Baker Mayfield. Yes, go Baker Mayfield. I love that. Oh, no, I said boo. Oh, no, go. Oh. Change the beat to a G, <laughs> and then we're on the right track. I thought, I thought we were done talking about that man. We can, oh, I'll never we be can never be done. And there's questions about him and Hot Mike, so we really can't even control that's, that. That's very interesting. I just realized that for as famed as this rivalry between you guys, this is the first time I've been witness to it. So I'm excited oh, to jump well, into welcome this NFL to the show. Segment. We're happy to have you. Yeah. It's going to be a good one later. Yeah, it's going to be very fun. And of course, joining us is Matt Permuka and Marcus Anderson from the Cannes Civic Center for the Hall of Fame Roundtable. Marcus, how's it going? What's up, Jake? How's it going? It's going very good right here. We just got finished with the national anthem, beautifully sung. Other than that, the stage is about set up for the new inductees to walk through, along with some other Hall of Famers from the past. Also, the fans are here waiting outside just to come through. We got some Texans, we got some Cowboys, Cowgirls, Teens Heads, all football fans around the nation to come here just to see our new inductees of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I tell you, the scenery is so beautiful, so enchanting. It's almost like prom night. It's just make me reminisce about those days. It's just so enchanting, I'll say. Man, a night like prom night, that's great to hear. And Marcus, I asked Matt this question in the first segment, but if there was one Hall of Famer from all time that you could speak to at the roundtable event, who would it be and why? Uh, that, was the, that would be between, from the new, with the new inductees, I'll either be Richard Seymour or Tony Priscelli. Tony Priscelli, I'll say, is the best in this new draft class. He is all-time all-decade team in the 1990s at Richard Seymour, the one player that I actually grew up watching. It was a spectacular player. We remember watching him with the Raiders during his twilight years. He was a spectacular player. Uh, hopefully someone like LT or Eric Dixon comes here, my all-time favorites. But yeah, I like to talk to Richard Seymour or Tony Pacelli. All right, that's great to hear. And we should hear from both of you guys later on in the show and let us know if there's any uh, great content that you're getting there at the uh, roundtable event. You got it. You got it, Jake. All right, thank you guys. And we will hear from them throughout the show with more updates from the roundtable event in Cannes. But guys, I posted the Around the Rue question while we were on break to our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. And of course, Around the Rue, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page. And the question for this week is who's the biggest pro football Hall of Fame snub in the AFC North? We have Heinz Ward from the Steelers, Clay Matthews Jr. from the Browns, Chad Johnson or O. 
Ochocinco from the Bengals and Jamal Lewis for the Ravens. Logan, I will send it to you first because I already know who Pat's going to pick. Who do you got? It's 100% Clay Matthews Sr. That man's been getting snubbed for years. There's been campaigns to get him in. There's been fans going crazy to get him in. And he never gets past the like preliminal rounds. And I don't understand. If you look at the stats, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm pretty sure he's nearing his last year-ish of eligibility or however that works. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but I remember there was a push to get him in this year specifically for that reason. He is absolutely the biggest snub thus far. So first of all, I forgot Clay Matthews played for the Browns. Yeah, he did. So that's Legendary. on me. And second of all, okay, who do you think I'm going to pick, Jake? Because Heinz Ward? Uh, yeah, of course I picked yeah, Heinz Ward. Yeah, of course yeah. I did. Because oh, did he? No but, way. <laughs> But, no, I did pick Heinz Ward, Steelers legend, helped us win the Super Bowl. Man, I just love Heinz Ward. The Steelers fan in me has to pick him. But if I had to pick somebody other than Heinz Ward, if we're taking him off the table, I would have to agree. I would have to give it to Clay Matthews. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure why he hasn't got in yet, but hopefully next year he will uh, see himself enshrined uh, in the all-time greats. Man, I just love Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward is great. I don't know. <laughs> no love for Ocho Cinco or Jamal Lewis, guys, huh? Not Jamal Lewis, but I like Chad Ocho Cinco. Ocho Cinco's good, too, but Clay Matthews is... Ocho Cinco's got more time if that... But like, he does have more time. Clay Matthews has been getting snubbed for years. Yeah, that is very true. And I want you guys to guess who I'm going to pick. I think you're going to pick Ocho Cinco. Okay. Are they going to pick Jamal Lewis? Both of you guys are wrong. And it pains me to say it. No. Oh, yeah. Say it. Say it. Say it. <laughs> I, I'm going with Heinz Ward here. Yeah. This man haunted me so bad through the years. The four-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP receiver who played 14 seasons with the Steelers. Just the credentials are there, man. If I look at his resume compared to the other guys... His resume is better. One thing that did stick out to me, though, is Chad Johnson, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. He ended his career with two, with 766 catches for over 11,000 yards, whereas Heinz Ward, his best year was in 2002, but in his career, he finished with exactly 1,000 career receptions for 12,000 yards. So Chad Johnson just got more receptions, easily would have passed Heinz Ward for receiving yards, but... Like I said, I just like the resume that Heinz Ward has compared to these other guys. Of course, I think Clay Matthews should be in the hall already. But looking at this list of the AFC North, I'm just going to go with Heinz Ward here, man. Not to mention Heinz Ward still has one of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history. So there's that. According to you? What? No, it's true. That catch was something amazing. I will say, though, I think the reason Chad Ochocinco hasn't been giving or hasn't been getting as much recognition as he deserves is because he hasn't won a ring. I think if he would have won a Super Bowl with the Bengals or a ring on one I, team, he would have already been inducted. I also think that Terrell Owens kind of scared the Hall of Fame away from guys like Ocho Cinco, who I don't want to call him a sideshow, but like he was more like of an entertainment type of guy. Great receiver, don't get me wrong. But like Terrell Owens kind of made a fool of the Hall of Fame. For the year that he was inducted, I actually went to all the ceremonies that year, and a lot of people were saying that the hall he should be extremely embarrassed that he wasn't showing up for stuff. And I think they're kind of nervous that Chad Johnson would do the same. I personally don't think so. I think 
I don't know if you guys have seen it. He, have you seen the way he tips his waiters and waitresses everywhere he goes? It's so funny. He just picks some random stat from some random game that he has, and that's the amount of money he gives someone. He had a $24 bill the other night, and he said, I once scored six touchdowns with myself and Madden, $1,000. I had 1,000 yards. I think that's pretty cool and would be awesome to get if it was me. But I think that the Hall of Fame has steered clear of him slightly just because of his on-the-field antics because of guys like Terrell Owens. Yeah, great analysis there from you. And looking at around the room right now on Twitter, it already has 10 votes with Clay Matthews having 50% of them. He is in lead the with Hines Ward coming up in second. And then Chad Johnson and Jamal Lewis are both tied for last place. Clay Matthews, he's in the lead right now. And speaking of the Cleveland Browns, it pains me to talk about this man, but we're going to do it anyways because he made a lot of headlines this week. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson as he was suspended six games and was not charged a fine. Judge Sue Robinson said that Deshaun Watson's pattern of behavior was egregious, but that it was nonviolent sexual conduct. Guys, what are your thoughts on the six-game ruling? Um, the NFL should be flat-out embarrassed by this. This is, just, this is horrible. How do you give Calvin Ridley a guy who gambled on his own team to win? So not that bad. Obviously, yes, if you're in the NFL, in a professional sports league, you should not be gambling on your team whatsoever. But how do you give him a year? And you give a man who has all these allegations. Obviously, you can't prove if any of them are real or not. But still, how do you only slap him with six games yet? You're going to slap somebody like Calvin Ridley for a year. And that's just not right to me. I really, like you said, I really hate speculating on all this. I really don't like talking about it anymore. Um, I think that whatever is going on needs to be handled quickly because I'm going to stick with the football side of this and say the Browns made a huge mistake gambling on this so quickly. And right now it is looking like, like you said, the NFL is going to appeal. And that may, quote-unquote, put him on the field quicker. But then I think that also hurts us in the end because they're going to and He is going to be suspended. Right now it sits at six games. He'll be back against Baltimore. But I think that the NFL will win their appeal. Roger Goodell has the power to make himself the judge for this case. He can make himself the judge. And as blasphemous as that sounds, as you're, if you're the, the head of the organization making the appeal and you can make yourself the judge, I definitely see Deshaun Watson's suspension being longer, and as it should be, to be honest. I think with all those allegations, as Pat said, they can't be proven, but I'm not going to deny that those are some serious, strong allegations. And if they are true, he should absolutely 100% be suspended, if not removed from the league. I completely agree. I mean, I think if they do extend his suspension minimum, I think bare minimum, one year. At the most, like Logan kind of said, removal from the NFL because there's been multiple, you know, things coming out with, you know, different problems in the NFL with different players, but it doesn't seem right that when something as serious as this, you only get six games, but then with something as minor as, oh, I bet like ten bucks on my team or whatever to win a football game, you get a year. I mean, like I said, it's just horrible, horrible by the NFL, horrible handling the situation. I'm, the only people I've seen that have remotely been fine with this are the delusional Browns fans that think that they can just sit high and mighty because... I wouldn't even use the word fans with that, to The be delusional honest. people that associate themselves with I think the organization. Anybody that supports that, even just because he's a good football player, 
there there's an underlying issue there and I wouldn't as much as I don't like to refer to this guy fans they're just not there's Browns fans who just want the football team to succeed and have morals and then there's guys like that who just don't yeah great Baker Mayfield shout out right there in terms of the six game suspension personally as a Browns fan I just don't feel right celebrating the decision, whereas I know a lot of people on Brown's Twitter were celebrating, hey, he only got six games, he only got six games, we can still make the playoffs, go on this long run with Deshaun Watson this year. I just don't feel right taking that approach to the six-game decision. And it personally felt like he was left off the hook. And in a case of this magnitude, in a case of this scope, where you have 26 women who claim sexual misconduct against Deshaun Watson... The words left off the hook should not be anywhere close to this case or to this decision by Judge Sue Robinson. And in that way, it kind of felt like a slap in the face in terms of other suspensions that the NFL has imposed on players for much less, like you said, Pat, in terms of the actual victims of the case and in terms of women, not only in our fan base, but women across the world. I've had loved ones and women in my life nearly break down just talking about Deshaun Watson So, no, I'm not going to celebrate that he only got six games because that helps the Browns and their playoff chances this upcoming season. Instead, I'm going to be a bystander, support those that I can support around me, and pretty much cheer for everybody but Watson on the Cleveland Browns this upcoming season. But, of course, as we know, the NFL is appealing the suspension. Before the suspension was announced, the NFLPA released a joint statement with Deshaun Watson saying that they won't appeal Sue Robbins' decision, and they called on the NFL to, to make a similar commitment. The NFL did decide to appeal the decision on Wednesday, and the league is appealing for an indefinite suspension of at least one year plus a fine for Watson. So what are your guys' thoughts on the appeal? That is what should have been done in the first place to get him that suspension of a year or more. Um, them appealing it shows they want to make the steps in the right direction. Like, yes, it might put him on the field sooner, but at the end of the day, they are trying to take those steps that are necessary to show that, okay, we understand that we can't just be giving something like that, like as little punishment as possible. I actually have a quote from a guy that will surprise a lot of people considering his past as well. But And I quote from Big Ben Roethlisberger, that there is no place in our league for sexual predators like Deshaun Watson. The NFL shows it doesn't really care about women by only suspending him for six games. Now, I know, obviously, Big Ben has also had some controversy, but I agree with his statement on that. By only giving Deshaun those six games at first... Who did he say that to? Like, who is the... Um, It was on Bleacher Report. They reported on it. So I'm not sure who he said that to, but I believe it was in a press conference. But I, I completely would agree with that statement because, simply put, the NFL did prove that they don't really care about the women that might view the sport and all that other stuff. So I think that by them appealing this and wanting to extend that suspension is the proper move for them trying to kind of regain that trust and hopefully move away from how nasty the situation is just continuing to get. Yeah, Logan, any thoughts on the appeal? Uh, like I said, and I agree with you, I, I do not feel right supporting Baker Mayfield. I mean, excuse me, <laughs> Deshaun Watson. Well, you don't support Baker I don't Mayfield support either, Baker Mayfield. So. But uh, I don't feel right supporting Deshaun Watson being suspended in only six games, especially when there are 26 allegations against him. I know he's, like, settled them or whatever, but I just don't feel right about it at all. I believe I think- he settled all but four of them. Yes. And those four were, were the um, remaining 
cases that they had to go off of that suspension. But I just I think that the appeal is the right move for the league, the world, society. I just don't as a Browns fan, it would be very hard to support him knowing that that was a thing. Yeah. Like it's just He's a great, if we're looking at it in a football way, he's a great quarterback and an upgrade at the position. But if we're looking at it in a moral way, then there's just no way that can be supported or tolerated. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It sounds like the league is trying to make an example out of Deshaun Watson, which to me makes perfect sense. And there's nobody really to blame but ourselves for getting us into this mess and entire situation in the first place, which makes this so difficult. And if you look back, sure, you can critique Baker Mayfield's play, but his his passion for the game and his personality and what he put out there was nothing but exceptional. And now we have Deshaun Watson, who is just all over the place. And before we continue talking about the Browns, I did want to mention that the Cleveland Guardians are about to face the Houston Astros at 12.05 on Peacock. So you can still listen to Sports Power Talk. We're going to talk about the MLB and the trade deadline next segment. But we will give you any updates from the Guardians-Astros game as they come to us. Back to the Browns, though, talking about Kareem Hunt. According to Cleveland.com, he requested a trade this morning after not receiving an extension. And the team has denied his trade request Kareem Hunt making headlines the past couple of days. What do you guys think? This is just like Baker Mayfield 2.0 with the way that this is starting to play out. Um, I can understand why Kareem Hunt would want to request a trade because he hasn't been given that extension. But at the same time, are you will like are you really willing to throw away the fact that when you are on the team with Nick Chubb, you are the best running back duo in the league? I, I don't think personally if I was Kareem Hunt, I would do that. I don't think I would request a trade out of that. I think I would be willing to take a cut because... First, I hate to admit it, the Browns are building something, and I feel like when you have Kareem and Nick Chubb on the same team, they're unstoppable. So, I mean, I don't get why he would want to trade, like why he wants out so bad. Yeah, we all know what happened to the last player that we denied a trade request from. Um, <laughs> Logan, I know you were happy about that result, but what do yeah. you think of Kareem Hunt? Um, I'm going to steal this from Dan from last night. It's almost like we have another all if only we had another all pro running back on our roster darn it looks like we're really losing one no we literally drafted the guy's replacement if he wants to leave good for him he's a great running back but Jerome Ford is the future with Nick Chubb and we still I just yeah who it's not as big of a deal as I think uh I think we can move on from him quite easily yeah, I actually agree with you. We have a lot of depth at running back right now. I think Dearness Johnson could be a starting back for most lead, or for most teams out there. I don't think we should overpay Kareem Hunt when we have already spent a ton of money this offseason. Plus, our offense used to be run heavy under Baker Mayfield, but now with Sean Watson, we could see a pass-heavy attack or at least a good balance to where the one-two punch of Chubb and Hunt might not be as needed. What about... What if Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback? Are we still are we still run heavy? Are we pass heavy? I'd say we're run heavy with Brissett, but at the same time, you take Cream Hunt out of that scenario. We still have Nick Chubb. We still have Dearness Johnson. We drafted Jerome Ford. We still have the guys at running back to make plays. Also, extremely hypothetically, I'll ask you this: What if Jimmy Garoppolo somehow ends up on the Browns? Are we pass or run heavy? I'd say a mix because I don't totally trust Jimmy G. I think he's a slight upgrade, if anything, over Baker Mayfield, mostly because of Jimmy G's experience in the league. I'd agree. 
Um, so I'd say it's almost a replica of what we saw with Baker. If we get Jimmy G, which we, we can talk about that. I think that was a hot question, so we'll we'll talk about that as well. For sure. And let's go to a different AFC North team. Pat, I'm sure you liked this. The Deontay Johnson extension as he signed a two-year $39.5 million deal with $27 million in guaranteed money. What did you make of the extension? It's about time. So for so long I've watched my Steelers. We get really good young receivers, but then we don't make the effort to extend them. The only ones we've really extended in the past have been like Antonio Brown, Heinz Ward, like the all-time greats, but in terms of solid receivers, we've never looked to really extend them. And I was so happy when Deontay Johnson finally got his extension, especially with the rumors flying around that we would not offer him his extension and we would be looking to trade him. I'm so happy that he will be a Steeler for at least another few years. He's arguably our number one receiver on the team. He has improved so much over the past couple of years, getting rid of the Deontay Dropson meme where last year he dropped some of the he had some of the fewest drops in the league. So like I said, I'm absolutely thrilled by this move and I'm so happy that he will be wearing that black and yellow for a few more years. Antonio Brown, an all time legend? Was for the Steelers, yes. No, for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ooh. absolutely. He was really one, he was the key staple of the killer bees. I'd be willing to oh, make that geez. argument. So it's I'm disgusting. saying delusional Steelers fans. But, yeah, no, he yeah. he was a key staple for the Killer Bees. So that's why I argue to say that Antonio Brown, in terms of his time as a Pittsburgh Steeler, will be, in my eyes at least, a all-time Steelers great because of his performance on the field. Obviously, moving into the later half of his career, in the I think the last year he had on the Steelers, would not consider him in that conversation. But if we look past that and at the years he had before, then in terms of how he came out of nowhere and established himself quickly as one of the greatest receivers in the league. And personally, I think that had he not have, had he not had all these off-the-field issues and also doing some of the stuff that he's done, I wouldn't see a reason why we couldn't be talking about him being a top-five wide receiver of all time. Well, that's definitely wow. an interesting take there. And you're happy about the Deontay Johnson extension. Very. But what about the QBs in training camp? Apparently, Trubisky has not looked sharp and even had zero completions in 16 attempts from two yards away from the goal line. Plus, Kenny Pickett is reportedly looking like a distant QB3 right now with his arm, accuracy, and decision-making all looking spotty via Tommy Jaggy on Twitter. Pats, are those guys going to be top five? First of all, I said it from the beginning. Kenny Pickett was the last quarterback I wanted to see put on a Steelers jersey (laughs) from the draft. And the like beginning I said, of the QB carousel. I am, like I said, I was literally praying that he is so bad. That way I can look at our organization and be like, dude, really? This is the guy that we took over Malik Willis? Are you kidding me? Like, I didn't even want to take a quarterback, but whatever. As for Mitch, whatever, I guess. I mean, I knew going into this, Mitch is a bridge quarterback Money for Mitch. us. Mason Money Rudolph Money on Mitch. the Yeah, no, no. I want to get rid of Mason Rudolph so bad. But he might play is what it sounds like. Yeah, last time he played... He ended up getting replaced by Devlin Hodges, who, goat, by the way, love Duck. But, dude, I I knew going into this year that the quarterback was going to be terrible, and I knew Kenny Pickett was not going to be good from the minute like I watched him. He only had one highlight in college, let's be honest here. The only good year he had out of his four years at Pitt was his senior year. Every other year he played was, like, below average. So, you know, I'm not too surprised by this. Um, in terms, you know, with what's going on with Mitch, I, 
I don't want to say it's because he hasn't had pressure for him to be a starter for at least a couple of seasons, but that is one thing I will say is at least the past few years he hasn't had to he hasn't had to be the starter, so he hasn't need to try as hard. So I feel like he might just be getting some of the rust knocked off, but yeah, I mean, I knew going into this year that the quarterback play was going to be abysmal. I just didn't think it was going to be this bad so fast. I'm so happy it is bad as it is right now. We just talked about Deontay Johnson. Let's talk about another wide receiver who got a new contract as well with the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, I'm talking about Debo Samuel, who got a three-year, $73.5 million extension with $58.1 million guaranteed to stay in San Francisco. His contract also has rushing incentives. He'll receive $650,000 per year for each year. He has 380 or more rushing yards and earn $150,000 if he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year. So some definitely interesting rushing incentives as a part of Debo Samuel's contract. What did you guys think of it when the news got announced? Well-deserved. I'm glad he got the contract because for a while there it was looking like he wasn't going to be putting on a 49ers jersey again this season. So I'm happy for him. I'm glad he got that contract. Um, And I wish him the best of luck in San Francisco, hopefully. Um, Trey Lance can prove himself as a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo right now, and um, hopefully he'll see more success with a new quarterback. Um, I think good for him to finally get the deal, but what a big waste of time acting all selfish like that for so long. But he did get his deal, and I don't think Trey Lance is the answer for the 49ers. I mean, we'll see how he performs and if it helps or hurts the stats of Debo Samuel. I I don't think Jimmy G was the answer, but I really don't think Trey Lance is the answer. So I actually think that him being the quarterback hurts Debo Samuel and hurts his stats. Yeah, I agree with you there. And before we go into our second break, let's talk about the Dolphins as they made significant headlines this week as well. The NFL found that the Dolphins had impermissible communications with Tom Brady in 2019 and again during and after the 2021 season, which included conversations about Brady serving as an executive of the team with the possibility of him playing for them as well. The NFL also found that the Dolphins had impermissible communications with Don Yee, former Saints head coach Sean Payton's agent, about having Payton become Miami's next head coach. The NFL determined that Miami did not immediately or intentionally lose games in 2019 and former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores put out a statement saying he was disappointed that the NFL minimized Ross's pressure on Flores to tank games. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said, quote, the investigators found tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity. I know of no prior instance of a team violating the prohibition on tampering with both a head coach and a star player. End quote. The NFL strips Miami of their 2023 first round pick and 2024 third round pick for violating the integrity of the game. And Dolphins owner Stephen Ross was suspended until October 17th and fined $1.5 million. So a lot going on in Miami. What did you guys make of this seismic news? I was kind of shocked. I didn't know that so much had gone on in that previous season. Obviously, we know that there were those um, accusations of them intentionally tanking. Um, but I was really shocked to learn how you know how deep this problem really was for them. Um, I think the NFL did the right thing by stripping them of their draft picks for what they did. I completely support that decision. Um, I support the fine and everything because what they did just wasn't right. 
in my mind, so I'm not mad about it at all. It's kind of what they get for trying to, you know, like I said, intentionally tank. So I, I think the NFL did the right uh, thing here. I think the NFL definitely did the right thing as well. Uh, I agree with Pat. I didn't realize that this much was going on with it, and I hadn't heard anything about it in a month or two about the Flores stuff. Um, I definitely, I heard rumblings about Tom Brady in Miami, but I never thought there was anything to it. I remember we even said, like, oh, that's just people making up stuff on Twitter. Um, I think that, yeah, the NFL definitely did the right thing, and it should definitely be punished because it's just against the rules. It's against the rules. Yeah, I don't have much to add to what you guys said. So that'll do it for our NFL segments. When we come back from break, we'll transition to the diamond to talk about the trade deadline that was on Tuesday. Already feels like it was a month away already. Talk about the Guardians and their roster moves. And of course, the Guardians are in action right now against the Astros. So we'll talk about all that and more when we return for Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? We are back with the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. My name is Jake Mern, the host of your program for today. And joining me are my analysts first, Zips enthusiast Pat Weber. Let's go, Zips. And second, the no good, very bad, evil Mr. Logan Congrove. He culture. Of course you would have to say he culture. He culture Mm. always and forever. Well, we are not talking about the NBA right now. We are talking about the MLB and the trade deadline that happened earlier this week. And guys, of course, we have to start talking about the deadline with the Padres as the San Diego Padres went off at the deadline. Let's talk about the Juan Soto and Josh Bell deal as the Padres sent a historic haul to the Nationals for Juan Soto and Josh Bell, including Mackenzie Gore, Robert Hassel III, C.J. Abrams, James Wood, Jarlin Susana, and not Eric Hosmer, but instead Luke Voigt. What do you guys think and react to this huge Padres news in the MLB? Just wow. Wow. That's the only thing I could have said at that time. I mean, we heard, you know, whispers going on, you know, on Twitter with all the rumors that he might be going to the Padres. I didn't see it happening until it was actually in front of me on that ESPN notification. Like I said, just wow, Slam Diego has added arguably one of the greatest bats in the league to their roster, which is already stacked enough with uh, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis once he is healthy. I don't see a reason why in the next three years the Padres don't win the World Series. Yeah, Soto's batting 250 right now with 21 home runs. And Josh Bell, who to me is the real key of this package, because of course they were rumored to get Juan Soto, but Josh Bell has been an incredible player this year as well, batting 300 himself. Logan, what are your thoughts? I think that trade was crazy as well. I think the Eric Hosmer thing is crazy. I couldn't believe that that dude really almost blew up the whole trade. Good good thing that they figured it out. Um, The Padres are definitely my favorite to win the World Series on the condition that Fernando Tatis is healthy. Because if he is not, that makes a big difference for them. I know they still have Machado and Soto, but without Tatis, big difference. Yeah, I wouldn't say winning the World Series this year. I think maybe Yan- not. I think the year. Yankees are going to win this year. But I'm saying for like in the future, because yeah, they still yeah, do yeah. have Soto for was it three years after this year left on that contract. Yeah, I so have, I think they can win in the next three. I know Tatis is in double A right now starting his rehab assignment so he should be back soon and Tatis and Soto in the same lineup is going to be 
dangerous for the rest of the league for years to come. Not only did the Padres acquire Soto and Bell at the deadline, though, they also got Josh Hader as they sent another huge haul, including Taylor Rogers, Robert Gasser, Estori Ruiz, and Denelson Lamett to the Brewers. Lamett is now a part of the Rockies for the four-time All-Star reliever in Hader. Hater this year is two and four with a 4.11 ERA, known as one of the best closers in the league. And the Padres just keep on getting better, gentlemen. The the Padres were definitely buyers here at the deadline. I mean, yeah, they've basically shipped off all of their young prospects, but they are very clearly in a win now situation, a win now mindset. So, I mean, like you said, Hater's widely regarded as one of the best closers in the league. Um, not doing as well this year as one might imagine for you know having that big of a name but nonetheless I mean like you said another huge trade for the Padres yeah and the X factor for me at the trade deadline for the Padres is their acquisition of Brandon Drury from the Reds the Padres sent their number six prospect shortstop Victor Acosta to Cincy and this year Drury's batting 271 with 21 home runs and 65 RBIs to go along with it and Pat you mentioned them as Slam Diego earlier on. In his first at-bat with the Padres, Jury hits a grand slam. I have this guy on my fantasy baseball team. He's been killing it for me all year long, and now he's going to be killing it in a new city. What do you guys think of Brandon Jury joining the Padres? Bad move by the Reds. I understand that you know the Cincinnati Reds are not playing very well this year. I completely understand that, but there's no reason in my mind to ship off basically every single player that is a name for your team, which is what they did at the deadline. We saw them completely tank. I don't understand why. Like, I I could see that, yes, I understand that, like, Drury, he was, I believe, going to be a free agent next year. A lot of these guys that they shipped off were going to be free agents. But at least try to re-sign them. Like I said, it was just a horrible move by the Reds. Fantastic for the Padres. They got an absolute steal. I do think the Reds could have got a little bit more out of that trade. But nonetheless, fantastic move by the Padres. And like you said, Drury's first at-bat hit a grand slam. So Slam Diego is as deadly as ever. Yeah, I completely agree. Logan, do you have anything for me on Brandon Drury? Uh, I think it's probably time, like you said, just for the Reds to blow it up. It's good that they're shipping off their players. I disagree with Pat that they should. What's the point of keeping around players that are good if you're not even going to utilize them, I think that it's good that they're going to blow up their team and great for the Padres to get him in return. Also yeah. good in terms for Ohio because we run Ohio now, which feels so good to say. We also have the real king of Ohio, not Joey Votto, because we have the real goat of Ohio. You know, yeah. Yeah, Jose the Goat Ramirez. That's fair enough. Let's talk about another World Series contender this year in the New York Yankees, a team that, Pat, you said you think is going to win the World Series this year. Not only did they acquire Andrew Benintendi a few weeks ago, but they also got Frankie Montes and catcher Jose Trevino. At the deadline, the A's received J.P. Sears, Ken Waldachuk, Luis Medina, and Cooper Bowman as a part of the deal, and Montes joins Nestor Cortez, Garrett Cole, and James Tallon in a dangerous Yankees rotation. What do you guys make of the Yankees simply just getting better? The Yankees, like like you said, they just keep getting better and better, not to mention they got rid of the main weak point of their team, um, which I believe is Joey Gallo. I mean, it's insane. They They keep getting better. And like I said, there's no reason, especially now that they have acquired Andrew Benintendi, 
that was the real deciding factor because, yes, I know the Yankees are number one in the entire MLB in terms of their record and their play, but the minute that I saw they got Andrew Benintendi, I was, that basically sealed my uh, my win for them in the World Series. Incredible moves at the deadline by uh, the Yankees. They didn't really give up too much when you look at the players and the names they got in terms of you know them giving up some of their prospects. They didn't lose too much, so I was astounded at how well the Yankees did at the deadline, and like I said multiple times, they will win the World Series this year. It's definitely interesting, and their rotation gets a lot better, and they're hitting for power. Ben Benintendi's obviously a contact bat. I mentioned that on the air before. I think that's a great piece for the Yankees. Let's talk about the Astros, though, as Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini head to Houston. Anything for me quickly on the Astros? I was surprised to see that Trey Mancini went to the Astros. I really was. I did not think that the Astros would make a move for him, um, but I do think that with them acquiring Mancini, it fixes one of the weaker spots on their roster. So it was a good move by them, as much as I hate to admit it, because I don't like the Astros, but it was a very good trade deadline for them. Yeah, absolutely. I love Trey Mancini. He thanked the Orioles staff and said that his that the medical staff and the John Hopkins doctors there guided him through his cancer battle and saved his life. He was a veteran on a team that's rebuilding, so I did predict that the Orioles would move Trey Mancini. I predicted last week it would be to the Mets, instead it's to the Astros, and the Astros, they have that great pitching staff. We've seen it this series against the Guardians. They completely dominated us in the first two games. Of course, we snuck by last night with that 4-1 to win, but the Astros are another team in the MLB that is simply just getting better. Another team that's getting better is the Minnesota Twins as they acquired Jorge Lopez and Tyler Molly in the trade deadline. Logan, I'll send it to you this time for Minnesota. What do you make of their acquisitions before the deadline? I think it's great for them as well as they're trying to make progress uh, to come out of the division. They're always kind of battling with the Guardians as they are right now. Um, I think that these are some moves that needed to be made for the t- for the Twins and will be helpful as much as I don't. I would like them to not, but it will be helpful for them to move past the Guardians. Yeah, absolutely. Jorge Lopez is an all-star relief pitcher this year. He was on the Orioles before getting traded to the Twins. And then Tyler Molly. He was on the Reds. The Reds get more prospects at the deadline. And personally, I think Molly's an upgrade, but not by much. He's 5-7 and seven with a 4.49 ERA this season. He also gave up four earned runs in six innings pitched in his first start with Minnesota. I don't think he's all that great, but Jorge Lopez is going to be a valuable bullpen arm for Minnesota down the stretch. Let's talk about some other notable transactions, though, and I just want you guys to rank them in the order of importance here. So first, I got Austin Riley, who inked a new deal with the Braves. Whit Merrifield got traded to the Blue Jays. Noah Syndergaard got traded to the Phillies. And Joe Musgrove inked a new deal with the Padres. Pat, I'll go to you first on this one. If you were to rank those four transactions in order, what would you give it? I think I got to give the best one to Syndergaard going to the Phillies. That's absolutely incredible uh, move by the Phillies to acquire one of the best pitchers in the league. Love to see that. Um, I think the second one would be that Riley signed a new deal with the Braves. They so desperately needed to uh, get him back on the team and get him staying in a Braves jersey, which they did capitalize on. So I was very impressed by that. The third one, I got to give it to Whit Merrifield going to the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays acquiring him at the deadline was simply incredible. It definitely strengthens their team. And last, um, although still a very good move, was Joe Musgrove getting a new deal with the Padres. 
I just feel like with the uh, players the Padres managed to acquire at the trade deadline, they didn't really need to keep uh, Musgrove around, but they did, so it was a pretty good move by them. Yeah, absolutely. My list is very different from yours, Pat, though. Uh, we'll go to Logan first for his list before I reveal mine. Oh, um, so I had a difficult time with this because obviously I'm not as strong suited in baseball as you are. So were we talking to clarify, were we talking trades or is it just like signings? Like so, how did you want me to go about that? Because yeah, I, I went both ways. But There's two of each, so I'll go with my list, and then we'll send it to you, Logan. Okay. So number one, I have Joe Musgrove inking his new deal with the Padres. He signed a five-year, $100 million extension with the team. Musgrove hasn't pitched great lately, but he is the ace of the Padres, who I agree with you, Logan, is probably going to win the World Series this year, if not World Series for years to come. Number two, I have Austin Riley inking that new deal with the Braves. He agreed to a huge 10-year, $212 million extension with Atlanta through 2032. And Riley, this year, he's been electric, batting 296 and batting 378 in his last 30 games. Number three, I have Whit Merrifield to the Blue Jays. Toronto received the two-time All-Star from the Royals in exchange for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo. Merrifield, he's batting 245 this year. Used to be a staple in the Royals lineup. Now that sub-250 batting average, we'll see what he looks like in a Blue Jays uniform. Number four, Pat, you're number one. I actually have Noah Syndergaard going to the Phillies at number four here. The Angels received a former number one overall pick outfielder Mickey Moniak and Jadiel Sanchez from the Phillies. It's a nice piece to add to the rotation behind Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. But Syndergaard this year, he's 6-8 and eight with an over-4 ERA, and he gave up four earned runs in his first start with Philadelphia. I don't think he's been that great of a pitcher this year. He used to be Thor. He used to be that guy. He's not been that guy this year. And the Phillies are just barely hanging on to a wild-card spot in the NL, so we'll see what happens there. Logan, what is your list, though? My list, uh, I agree with Pat Syndergaard at number one. I think that helps the Phillies and a lot. Like you said, they're just barely hanging on. You did not listen to a word I just said, did you? I yes, I number, did. I have them at number four, man. You guys have to disagree. Yeah, it's just like a thing. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you guys both agreed number <laughs> one was Noah Syndergaard. So, I'm the only one that has that every word four. you just said, and Syndergaard is still my number one. Okay. I think the Phillies are just barely hanging on, and Syndergaard helps them a lot. Uh, number two, honestly, this is a bit of an obscure thing to say and pick. I want to. It's not even really necessarily a move. It's more of a team that didn't make a move that helps them. Um, I think the Angels hanging on to Otani is a big deal for them. Um, there was a lot of rumors that he was going to be traded. The Yankees were one of the teams that were going to make an offer, which that would have been absolutely sickening. Uh, the Angels don't have much to hang on to except Otani and Trout. I think Otani staying with the Angels is a big deal for them. And I think Musgrove is probably my number three. Okay. That's fine list there, but I have Musgrove number one, Syndergaard number four. Do. I know when yeah. they, uh, they so put Otani right, when they put Otani out there, I was really hoping. I was like, I know I don't want to give up Shane Bieber. Oh, you're exactly nuts. Sack, we would have had to give it up the entire yeah, team. We'll talk about we that have, well. No, we wouldn't have to give up the entire team. We, If we were going after Shohei Otani or Juan Soto, we would have given up more for Juan Soto than whatever Shohei Otani. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up the trade deadline by talking about winners and losers of the MLB trade deadline. Pat, I'll go to you first. Who are your winners 
of the deadline. I've got to give the winners here to obviously San Diego. They had an absolutely incredible trade deadline. Probably one of the craziest for a team in MLB history. It was absolutely insane. And another winner, I want to give it to Seattle. They have managed to build an incredible team this year. Uh, a running joke that me and one of my friends uh, back home, who was a Cincinnati Reds fan, is that the uh, Seattle Mariners are the Cincinnati Mariners since half their team is the Reds team from last year, especially with uh, acquiring Luis Castillo now. But I think that Seattle's another big winner at the deadline there. Like I said, acquiring Castillo from the Reds, incredible to add him to the pitching rotation. Um, the two losers, obviously, I'm going to give it to the Cincinnati Reds. You traded your entire team away while still somehow in some way wanting to keep Joey Votto. That blows my mind, but they're going to do what they're going to do. And I have to give another L to the Orioles. They were starting to click very well with their team. I know someone that's not going to like that one. I know. I know who you're thinking of. But (laughs) they were starting to click so well together as a team. We were starting to see the Orioles look like the team they had in the 2000s and 2010s, and they simply traded away their entire team. So I've... I just got to give the Orioles the L on that one. All right, winners and losers, Logan? <laughs> um, I would definitely agree that the Padres are the big winner. They made so many moves to improve their franchise, and it's going to make a big difference down the line. Like Pat said, I think they'll be a World Series champion in the next three years, if not multiple times. Definitely not this year, though. They're going to have to get adjusted. And I think that the the Reds, are, I don't like agreeing. I think agreeing is boring for radio, but... The Reds are a clear loser. I don't know where you gathered the Orioles from, though. Well, it's just because they were starting to click so well, and then yet they trade arguably their best relief pitcher, and they still trade Trey Mancini, which are two big blows to the organization. Well, yes, they still have Cedric Mullins. He has not been playing as well as he has in the past. That's why I say like the team was starting to mesh properly and the chemistry was being built, yet they still managed to break it a little bit. Um, I will be willing to trade the Orioles out here, though, with... Um, with the Royals. I will be willing to interchange both of those teams there. I mean, I just think the Orioles, kind of like the Guardians, are on a bridge of being competitive and just being a rebuilding team. And here at the deadline, it seems like the the Guardians made zero moves, so we're kind of still contending a little bit, whereas the Orioles did dump an all-star pitcher and one of their best hitters. So I think they're more on that rebuilding side, but they're still up there in terms of AL seedings and rankings, and they are ahead of the Guardians right now. For me, my winners are, are of course, the Padres. They got so much at the trade deadline, and when when Tatis Jr. returns, I think they have the best lineup in the MLB, no question. For the Astros as well, I had them as a winner. They fixed their biggest weakness at catcher by acquiring veteran Christian Vazquez. They also added a great, reliable power bat in Trey Mancini to add to that already dangerous lineup. With the Astros pitching, they could easily make it really far in October. In terms of my losers... I have teams that didn't make moves that should have. So I didn't say teams that made moves and made wrong moves. I have the Dodgers number one because they're known for being aggressive at the deadline. But while other teams were out getting better, L.A. added Joey Gallo. He was batting under 200 this season from the Yankees. And now they have a clear number one threat, clear number one competition 
in the NL in the San Diego Padres. My other loser is the Chicago Cubs. It seemed like Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras were as good as gone, but instead they don't deal them for potentially a great haul of prospects that could help their future. Plus, they could easily lose Contreras this offseason in free agency. I just think they set that price too high. And when it comes to that deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, you got to make that move and at least get something in return for a player who's probably going to leave after the season. If we're going in terms of, like you said, teams not making moves, I would argue to say that we, you know, the Guardians also lost. We made one move, and we dealt a minor leaguer for a minor leaguer, in, well, which was the most Guardians thing I've ever heard in my life, was to trade a nobody catcher for a nobody pitcher. That is a but, hot mic question as well. Oh, really? I, 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 I believe it is. unaware of that. There's a lot of Guardian hot mic questions. Okay, I okay. absolutely... Love all of you who are asking Guardians questions. I was I was surprised. I thought we were going to go after Contreras at the deadline because when you looked up Contreras' name, we were associated with a lot of the talks there. Maybe we could pick him up in the offseason because we do need help at catcher because we all know how everyone feels about Austin Hedges. Not great. And yeah. I'll I'll talk I'll save my thoughts on that for Hot Mike because okay. I have a lot of thoughts on Wilson Contreras and the Guardians and if the Guardians should have made moves or if they should have stayed quiet which they kind of did and yeah I have a lot of strong thoughts on that but we'll we'll save that for Hot Mike to end today's show but let's talk about the Guardians and their recent roster moves as Oscar Gonzalez returned from the injured list while the team designated Franmil Reyes for assignment meaning that Reyes is available for other teams to acquire. Reyes is batting under 250 this year, just a night and day season this year compared to last year. And Gonzalez is finally back, batting over 280 with three home runs in his rookie campaign. What do you guys think of the Gonzalez and Reyes moves? It hurts. It hurts because everybody, if you're a Cleveland fan, you love Fran Mill Reyes. But at the same time, he is older than Oscar Gonzalez. And Oscar Gonzalez is playing so much better this year than Fran Mill Reyes has. It will hurt if Fran Mill does end up getting picked up by another team, which I imagine he will. Because when the when the news broke on Twitter about him being assigned to the AAA, the comments were flooded with all of the teams, you know, their fans wanting their team to go after Fran Mill. So if Fran Mill does get picked up by another team, thank you, Fran Mill, for your time in Cleveland. You're probably one of my favorite players, but like you kind of said, Jake, he was night and day this year. And, you know, like you said, Oscar Gonzalez is absolutely killing it in his rookie campaign. I was actually lucky enough to watch him play on his rehab uh, when I was working for the uh, Rubber Ducks here. So he was playing absolutely incredibly, and I'm excited that he's back in the lineup because he definitely makes us better as a team. Yeah, absolutely. The team also sent Ernie Clement to AAA to promote our number six prospect, Tyler Freeman. And Will Benson also got promoted to the Guardians roster. But Benson has yet to have a hit in 11 at-bats in the major league. Talking about the Houston series, we did lose 6-0 to on Thursday. We lost 9-3 to on Friday when Hunter Gaddis made his first MLB start and gave up seven hits and eight earned runs 
in 3.1 innings pitched. You hate to see that, but he's going up against the Astros, so really what did you expect from that? And then he won 4-1 to one on Saturday with Cal Quantrill doing an amazing job on the mound for the Guardians. Ahmed Rosario had a great game as well, and the defense was clicking. Right now there is no score in the Astros-Guardians game. But before we go to break and start our Hot Mic, the first edition of Hot Mic, guys, it's time for Player of the Week. Each of us picks one MLB player to feature for Player of the Week, regardless of position and could be for accomplishments on or off the field. And I'll go first this time. All right. We were talking about the Guardians. I'm going Stephen Kwan right here. This season, he's batting just under 300. His past 15 games, he's batting 338. And this week, he tied J.D. Martinez for the American League record for the longest hitting streak at 18 games this season on Thursday. I do have some honorable mentions for Trey Mancini and Ahmed Rosario, but Stephen Kwan, the rookie, we're all Kwanis up here. I'm giving him my player of the week. Logan, who is yours? So this is obscure, and I don't know if this is even allowed, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, My player of the week is not a player. It is an influential person in the MLB. It is Vin Scully. Uh, All of his amazing accolades, hired to broadcast the Dodgers at the age of 22, Brooklyn Dodgers, I should say, youngest person to ever broadcast a World Series. 67 years as a broadcaster for the same team, and in 2016 was a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, uh, a guy that I personally look up to a lot as I work a lot of PA announcing jobs, and I, my dream is to commentate something someday. So I know he's not a player, but Vin Scully, rest in peace, uh, influential for the sport of baseball. Wow. That's a rare W for you, Logan. 100%. No, rest in peace, yeah. Vin Scully. Great pick there. Pat, who do you have? So my pick is actually one of your honorable mentions because I'm going to give it to Ahmed Rosario for showing no mercy to baseballs this past week. He has absolutely nuked two of those home runs. One went, what was it, like over 400 feet, what, 450? I think it was exactly 450. That is insane. So I have to give it to the man who shows no mercy to the baseball, our shortstop, Ahmed Rosario. Good yeah. pick. Yeah, it was an honorable mention of mine for a reason. And, guys, I'm going to call an audible here. We are not going to go to break. We are going right in to the first edition of Hot Mike to end today's show. The first edition of Hot Mike, if you didn't already know, I posted it on Wednesday on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports where we're getting our listeners involved in the show where you can drop questions in the comments and we'll answer them and get to as many of them as we can every single Sunday from here on out. So let's get right started right now. Logan, you're actually the first question because you said per a non-Twitter user friend of mine, Nate Maxwell. So I guess Nate Maxwell has the hot mic. Who will win the Champions League this year? Both of you guys are soccer guys, so I'm going to completely send it to you. I'm not going to answer this question because I don't think I can name That's okay, Jake. a single Champions League team. But go ahead. I'm sending it to Logan first on this one. Yeah, my pick is PSG, of course, Paris Saint-Germain for you non-soccer fans. Uh, Nate, to answer your question, Paris Saint-Germain with Messi and Mbappe, it's just a no-brainer to me. Um, there's a lot of great teams in the Champions League this year. Juventus, Liverpool is personally my favorite. Uh, we got Chelsea, Bayern. Barcelona, Napoli, lots of great teams, but my pick is Paris Saint-Germain out of France. I am also going to have to go with PSG on this one. I, I mean, agree with you guys. They're 
they're just so dominant. They've got <laughs> three team. of the they've got three of the best players in the world. They still have Neymar. They still have Neymar too. Player. I forgot about Neymar. That's my favorite Add player. Him to the list. He's he's a great player. I forgot that he was back on the same team as Messi. What was the what was the team again? PSG. Paris PSG. That is my pick as well because <laughs> they so are dominant. just they are just so good at soccer, man. I, I mean, would argue you should hop on the trend, man. They're really they're really. Great I'll tell you what, Jake. I will sit and watch an entire non-Cleveland Guardians game or in the MLB if you watch an entire Champions League soccer. I'll game. make the deal if you change it from MLB to AEW. Deal. All right. Are we shaking on yeah, it? Yeah, we're shaking. Okay, I'm I can't shaking reach on you, but right. okay. I, I'm winning. That's a this. good deal. I would give an honorable mention though in the Champions League to uh, Bayern Munich. Yeah. But nobody's beaten PSG this year. PSG is just no astronomically chance. better. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nate, for the question. And thank you, Logan, for being the channel for Nate posting on our hot mic feed here. And our next hot mic recipient here is Cam429, as he has seven questions for us. Hopefully, he has some sort up for future weeks. But a lot of these are quick ones. So, first, he has the Browns record until Deshaun Watson returns. Uh, I believe this was before the NFL appeal. So, six games. What's the record, Logan? I'll go to you first. Five and one, we dropped to the Chargers. That's it. Sheesh. Pat? Uh, I'm going to go four and two. And I'm going three and three just to play it safe. I don't know how Jacoby Brissett's going to play, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But honestly, it might not even be a six-game suspension. We'll just have to see what happens with that huge scenario for the Cleveland Browns. Another somewhat Browns-related question, but he is a Panthers fan and is asking, does Baker make the Panthers a wild-card team or close um, Logan, I'm not going to hear from you. I'm turning your mic down. <laughs> Pat, who do you have? Um, the, he does not make them that much. Yeah. As, I've, as I've said before, I think adding Baker might get them one or two more wins, if that. So I, I think it gets them close. Not not to mention that we did see that <laughs> stat that Sam that. Darnold threw uh, a better completion percentage and more touchdowns in training camp than that Baker was, Mayfield did. That was one game in training camp. Oh, here Baker, comes the defense. Dude, that was one. That was one but day still. in training camp. I'm right. It was one day in training camp with a new offense. I'm not even sure if he's 100 percent healthy yet. And in other training camp days, he's been playing a lot better, connecting with Richard Higgins. I know they got yelled at for a penalty because Higgins rolled out the carpet, but whatever. They're still playing great, and Baker Mayfield has showed up in Carolina Panther training I'm, camp. I'm, so just saying, I'm just saying it Hear has me to out. make you. It has to make you wonder. That's all I'm saying. Why, he it, had it one bad to... day in training camp. Hey, but he got beat up by Sam Darnold. You guys are Darnold. talking about nothing. Baker Mayfield is day. not even going to be the starting quarterback for the Panthers. No, he'll be the starting quarterback for. He's going to be on the bench. It doesn't even matter. He makes no, no difference I, whatsoever because I... he's on the bench. Okay, listen. Cam, I'm sorry. Listen, um, listen, listen. These guys are delusional. They do get close. No, hold to on, the wild hold card. on, hold on, hold on. Okay, here's <laughs> here's what I have to say. As much as I dislike Baker Mayfield. He will be the starter week one, regardless no chance. of play. No, he'll be the starter week one because I know they'll want to come out there because Baker will play on with a chip on his shoulder because he is going to be taking on the Browns. However, moving on past that point, depending on how he plays that game, will determine if he is the starter for the rest of the season or not, in my mind. He's garbage. He makes him close to a wild card team, in I my opinion. I don't know about that. Number I three, that. will the Guardians ever be consistent? I'll answer first. Okay. I'm going to say no because the Guardians, 
their kind of philosophy this whole entire season is they go on hot streaks, then they go on cold streaks. Sometimes the offense is the problem. Other times it's the pitching. I know Aaron Savali is on track to return on Wednesday, I believe. But still, we've just been all over the place in all facets of the game. Sometimes it's in the best way possible. Sometimes it's in the worst way possible. So my answer is no. Pat, as the other baseball mind up here, what do you think? I have got to agree with you. We have been, like you said, we'll hit hot streaks where we'll win five, six games in a row, and then we'll drop five, six games after that. Um, I would have said yes had we traded Zach Plesak at the trade deadline. I would have said yes, we could be more consistent because we seem to hit these cold streaks when he pitches for us. Like he only, he's two and ten, which is abysmal. So I, I would have to say if we had traded Zach Plesak at the trade deadline for possible um, prospects for pitching, yes, we would be more consistent. But we did not, so no, we will not be as consistent. Yeah, that is fair. His next question is: Your all-time starting five for basketball also says R.I.P. Bill Russell. Of course, rest in peace, the goat, Bill Russell. But all-time starting five for basketball. Logan, I'll go to you. Magic Johnson at the point. Shooting guard, Michael Jordan. Small forward, LeBron. Power forward, Kareem. Center, Bill Russell. Ooh, okay. So, that is not my top five list. The question question was starting lineup, right? Yeah. Okay, so then yes. Yeah, okay. So, for me, point guard... um, I'm going to have to disagree with Magic Johnson. I'm going to give it to Steph Curry. Oh, listen, no, listen, no, listen. Right I understand that us being Cleveland fans, we don't like Steph Curry. But, there, but there's no denying that he he is going to be the, one of the greatest point guards of all time. So i got to give it to him. Shooting guard, no-brainer. Got to give it to Michael Jordan. Small forward, also no-brainer. Got to give that to LeBron James. At power forward, though, I have to give it to the greatest power forward to ever play the game of basketball. i got to give it to Tim Duncan. One. At the power That's forward. respectable, honestly. And then at center, it's it's up in the air, but I, I'm going to give it to Kareem. Um, but I would also have Bill Russell. If we were going to put a six-man spot, I would put Bill Russell as the six-man, if not possible, starting power forward. I think him and Tim Duncan, I would swap out. Tim Duncan's very underrated. That's respectable. All right, my all-time starting five for basketball, the man that should be on all of our lists. First, LeBron James, the GOATs. He is number one on my list for the all-time starting five. And then the other four guys should be on all of our lists as well. I don't understand why they're not. Other than LeBron James, I'm going to go with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith. Okay. And at center, throw oh, out okay. Tristan Thompson. Give me Timothy <laughs> Mozgov. Give me Timothy Mozgov. I respect the Mozgov. But, I mean, why don't you respect... No, I, thought, uh, I didn't realize you were going with a Cavs lineup there at first. I thought you were dead serious, like Kyrie Irving being a top five. I am dead five. serious, man. Oh, boy. LeBron James, Kyrie mm. Irving, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, Timofey Mozgov. Give it to me. All-time starting five for basketball. Last three questions here from Cam. Hot take sports up or down? How I perceive this question is the hot take sports analysts out there like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and all them. Are we a fan of that? Are we not a fan of that? Just real quickly, uh, what are your thoughts? I'm a huge fan of it because I think it it brings more entertainment into the sports world where hearing someone like Stephen A. Smith say some outlandish stuff is always entertaining. It's always funny. But at the same time, they do manage to keep it somewhat professional where they do actually have takes that do matter, that are correct. I'm a big fan of it because it gives 
what they're doing character. It's not just the monotone of them like all agreeing with everything and just stats. It's fun to hear them going on in debate. So I'm a big fan of it. All right. I'm a fan as well. I think it brings good energy and good talking points for guys like us. I didn't think of that. Personally, I don't like it just because I can't stand Stephen A. Smith and what he says. He is on UFC broadcast all the time when he simply shouldn't be and just doesn't know what he's talking about. So personally, I'm not a fan of hot take sports, even though it does bring a lot of entertainment to the sports world. Number six for his questions, three sleeper teams in the NFL. You guys don't have to argue about it. Don't even say your analysis or reasoning. Just go ahead. Sleeper teams in the NFL. All right. I'm going to go with the uh, – got to think about this. I'm going to go with the Houston Texans, um, the Carolina Panthers, because I do think that if Baker Mayfield gets healthy, he has a chance of kind of doing what he did with the Browns. But it's a hard maybe, very hard maybe. And three, I got to go with the Saints. Saints, Jets, Browns. Jets because of Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, straight up. Jets because of Zach Wilson. Get out of here. <laughs> Jets when uh, they bench Zach Wilson for Joe Flacco, but that's just no. me. I have Eagles, Vikings, Commanders. Those really? are my three The Commanders? Teams. I can respect yeah. it. I can respect it. I mean, Carson's, Carson Wentz is the best QB that Terry McLaurin's ever had. That is so. that is very true. You're Good right. defense. Uh, I like what I see from the Commanders, and they're playing in the NFC least, so I like their chances, even though I do pick the... Eagles to be a sleeper team too because I I think they'll win that division. But all right, number seven, Cam's last question here is Dallas really America's team? I'd really say Packers or Steelers. Dallas is not America's team, and although I do appreciate the optimism that Steelers, that the Pittsburgh Steelers are America's team, we are not. We are widely hated as a franchise, but I would argue to say America's team is probably. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I. You know what? I'm going to do it. As much as it pains me to say it, I'm going to say one of America's top teams is probably the Cleveland Browns. That's right. Well, because everybody... No, 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 no. Because listen, because everybody knows how, like, the pain that Browns fans have gone through. So a majority of all NFL fans hope the Browns do succeed. So I would put that as being one of America's teams because everybody, for the most part, has an underlying reason for wanting you to succeed. They're not America's... The Cowboys are not America's team. I would say either the Packers would be considered America's team, or honestly, I, I'd give it to the Giants just because they're the Patriots slayers. That is true. I don't like the stigma or the notion of America's team. I've never really understood it, never really liked it, so I I'm, guess I'll keep it with Dallas, but personally, I don't really care who America's team is. I'm going to root for my team, and everybody will root for their team. And usually America's team is the underdog. So I, I do want to say uh, Dan did just bring up a very fascinating point to me that it, it, I, he said the Bills. Dan, I, I can agree with Bills Mafia being up yeah. there. I, I can agree with that. That could be. All right, Logan, it has uh, come time for us to address this. Oh, as man, I'm ready. A couple weeks ago, I'll kind of set the scene here. A Twitter account popped up with the username at Jake Murin a goat. This was not my doing. This is not anybody's doing here at WCF Sports. Like, it has been tracked to cause chaos in our group chat, and we believe it's just a fan out there. Their username is Jake Murin's number one fan, Logan Congrove Hater, and he asks you, Logan, how did you become a fan of the Heat? I'm going to take a deep breath here before I get started. <laughs> Sir, first of all, 
appreciate the love. It's awesome. I look at it as I look to I look to make it one day in this business, and I'll have to hopefully deal with a lot of haters. And I'll look back one day, and you will be my first hater that I will always remember, whether it's on radio or TV. But if you were a true fan of Sports Power Talk, like you say you are, how many times have I explained on this show where I got my Heat fandom from? But I guess I'll say it again because clearly it just didn't make it to you. So the question was, how did I become a fan of the Miami Heat? If you weren't, like I said, if you really listened to this show, you would know that I gave a whole spiel about Heat culture and the Heat fandom. But I'll give you the backstory again, once again, at Jake Murren, a goat. Um, I, my neighbor, Gavin McIntyre, once donated to me a youth medium Shaquille O'Neal red Miami Heat jersey. And I liked it. I loved it so much. I started watching the Heat when Shaq was on the Heat. I was a big fan of Shaq, big fan of D-Wade, big fan of UD. And then I just kind of fell through my, me and Gavin McIntyre. He put me on. I know he's listening. Gavin, thank you for putting me into the Heat culture and putting me on the best franchise in NBA history. At Jake Murnigo, keep these tweets coming, man. It motivates me so much. This is the best. You've actually brought, as I know you're a hater of mine, but you've actually brought a lot of content and excitement to our show. So thanks for that. Uh, I know you're probably tweeting as we speak. I'm going to flip tabs and go look at your account here in a second. (laughs) Whoever you are, keep it up. You're cracking me up, man. I'm glad you're a hater of mine. And Jake Murren and I will never agree. So. I mean, he uh, he dropped another question and asked, why is Jake Murren such a goat? Oh I'm not going to build my own <laughs> ego and answer this question. But if Jake, you guys, if you guys want to, I'm mean, not, not calling Jake Murren a goat. It's simply because you are. So Thank you, Pat. I think that's the only correct <laughs> Thank answer you, you can have. But yeah, man, keep them coming. Uh, I'm glad you dislike me. I dislike you, too. <laughs> Uh, Jake Murren's number one fan, Logan Congrove's hater, had the hot mic and what a hot mic it was. Let's kick it off to Aaliyah here as she asks, is Colin Kaepernick good enough to still be a starting quarterback in the NFL? What do you guys think? Absolutely not. I mean, he's he's worked out with so many teams, and yet he still hasn't landed a contract yet. I would have to say the era of Colin Kaepernick is officially over. I don't think we'll see him on, a, on an NFL roster any tryouts and everything i just don't think he has it anymore i don't agree with him getting kicked out of the nfl or blackballed by the nfl but that's kind of the situation we're in and now kelly has the hot mic as she asks if deshaun watson is out for the entire season is jacoby Brissett the answer or should the browns make moves for someone else potentially a jimmy g out there that we talked about earlier i think if deshaun's out for the season it's going to fall on jacoby Brissett. For the year, I don't see the Browns making any moves. Although with Kareem Hunt wanting to be traded now, I think that does open some possibilities for the Browns. Okay. I don't think they should make any moves because clearly it doesn't really work out for the Browns. Plus then what do you do with Jimmy G once that's over? Yeah, I don't think so either. If you add Jimmy G, I don't think he's, like I said, I don't think he's that big of an upgrade over Baker. And I don't know who else you could really add that that would be out there. And if you're the Browns, if Deshaun Watson does get suspended for the entire year, I think this is probably just a throwaway season, and you roll the dice with Jacoby Brissett, maybe get a wild card, but at that point, what would that even mean? Because we're not going to be a Super Bowl contender with Jacoby Brissett at the starting quarterback position. Now a question from our former sports director at Kyle Molinelli. He asks, strawberry or banana? And I asked him if this was about Laffy Taffy's, and he said just... uh. Take the question as you will. So, guys, strawberry or banana? Banana. 
If we're talking milkshake, strawberry, and banana. If we're talking Laffy Taffy, banana. Dude, yep. we might be rivals up here. But I'm one of the are, only ones. We are both the only guys up here that love and appreciate Laffy Taffy's. What? Love I love Laffy Taffy. You well, do? Welcome to yeah. the club. Okay, yeah, welcome to the, the I would club. always go after him. Like, we, we are now a group of three. And stuff. We like, are now a group of three. Uh, and, yeah, because they all flame me because when I was asked what my favorite Halloween candy is, I said banana Laffy Taffy, and then... It's a whole joke now, but no, banana but is definitely so over strawberry. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Joe Barry asks, favorite album from 2022 so far? Ooh. I really enjoy the. I really enjoy these non-sports questions. They're pretty fun to answer. All right. All right. Uh, Pat, go I, I got to give it to my favorite rapper of all time, the greatest rapper in history, Kendrick Lamar for Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I will hopefully be going to see that. I will hopefully be going to see Kendrick Lamar in Columbus next weekend. I'm really hoping I get a chance to get tickets for that. Oh man! Um, so my pick is actually quite easy. It's not a new album, but it just came out, finally released, and that album is "A Kid Named Cuddy" by the man from Cleveland, Kid Cuddy. So many bangers on that album. Not even close, in my opinion. I actually thought the Kendrick album was mid. What? <laughs> better than Drake. Okay, at least some of it is better than Drake's new album. Drake's new album was dirt. Yeah. So, I might expose myself, but I don't really care. I'm not a huge fan of the music we play here at WZIP. So, if uh, Joe, I apologize if you're looking for some hip-hop or rap artist or album. That's just not my type of music. I'm more of an alternative kind of rock, kind of pop guy myself. And personally, not a ton of my favorites uh artists have released albums so far so i'd probably say sonder by the rex they're an alternative rock album or rock (coughs) band they released sonder the album earlier this year i think it's a banger of an album and i think people should uh go check that out even if you aren't into that type of music listen to a song or two and see what you think logan do you have something to say you're kind of fuming up back yeah i just i'm i told you i was gonna flip tabs and i did uh, I just wanted to know that your number one fan, your number one fan over here, just said that Laffy Taffy's are disgusting. He's They're not, gross, he's except not, for a banana. He's not banana a part of the, the club. Banana is the only be. good flavor. He's not a part of the club, man. Laffy Taffy's are the best Halloween candy. One hundred percent. Banana. One hundred percent. Yes. Logan, this is so weird that we are in total agreement of something that there's nothing better. I mean, yeah. There really isn't. It's just so good. All right, Davis, you now have the hot mic, and he asks, will the Cleveland Guardians regret not making moves before the trade deadline? So what we were kind of getting into a little bit, what do you guys think? I think the only regret that they will have, like I said, was not trading Zach Plesak because he has not been great this year for being our number two behind uh, Shane Bieber. So I think that we will regret not trying to deal him and not trying to bring in Contreras. All right, that's an interesting take. Logan? Mm-hmm. I don't think the Guardians ever really do anything at the deadline, so no, it's nothing different from what they normally do. Yeah, I don't think they should regret making moves be- or not making moves because I don't know what moves made sense for them. I hated the Wilson Contreras idea because Contreras is going to be a free agent after this year, and we would have to give up a pretty decent prospect haul to get him from the Cubs, only for him to play for half a season in which we're in a season right now that the Guardians aren't legitimate World Series contenders. We're not going to go and do anything this year, so adding a guy like Wilson Contreras and dumping all those prospects for him makes no sense as a rental piece for the Guardians. There were some rumors out there that we were looking into Sean Murphy for the A's. 
Murphy's a great defensive catcher, not all that great at hitting, at least this year anyways, but he does play for Oakland, so that could certainly play into that as well. But for me, Bo Naylor is raking in AAA right now for us. I think he might be the long-term answer for the Cleveland Guardians. Two Naylors are better than one. Give me Bo Naylor at catcher for the future. So I don't think the Guardians are going to regret not making moves before the trade deadline. Great question there, Davis. Another Guardians question as the hot mic goes to Zachary Stratton. He asked, the Guardians are the youngest team in baseball. 13 prospects have made their MLB debut this season alone and made no significant trades at the deadline, but they're still firmly in the playoff chase. At this point, is the focus on this season or building for the future? Logan, go ahead. Um, I think that the Guardians... Man, I I think, like I said, they just never seem to make any moves that are super huge. Uh, the focus is definitely going to be building for the future for them. Although, if they can't, I think that's been the mindset with them for a long time, honestly. Like, if we win, great. If not, we're building for the future. I would say building for the future, but not kind of honestly somewhere in the middle, if that makes sense. We are still building for the future, but we are slowly coming out of the rebuild within the next... I'd say five to eight years. I see no reason why we couldn't make a World Series appearance or possibly win the World Series. Yeah, to answer the question, I think we're just building for the future right now. And having all these prospects make their MLB debut this season, I think that's really crucial to give these young guys any experience in the major leagues that they can get. I think that experience is so valuable to these young players. And I welcome seeing these young players on the Guardians who are doing amazing things in double and triple A this year. So I'm a fan of seeing these young guys, but I do think we're just building for the future at this point. Next, we have Ryan Williams as he asks MLB playoff predictions. Pat, I'll go to you first. Yeah, the Yankees are winning the World Series. Um, That's all I really have to say about that. They're going to win. Would agree. Yankees are definitely winning the World Series. Okay. I don't have the Yankees winning the World Series. I absolutely have the San Diego Padres winning when Tatis comes back. I think there's just going to be too much to handle. But looking at the actual seedings themselves, you know, the Yankees, Astros, and Twins are the AL division leaders. I kind of see that staying the same just because the Twins got better uh, with the trade deadline, whereas the Astros and the Yankees are solidified in that spot for the rest of the season wild card you have toronto tampa bay and seattle right there with the uh, orioles guardians and white Sox out looking in i think that goes to toronto tampa bay and then bold prediction i think the white Sox jump the guardians and the orioles and the mariners to make a wild card appearance okay this year for the nl you have the dodgers mets and cardinals as your nl division leaders Dodgers and Mets, I think they're solidified in those positions. The Cardinals, they could fall, but we'll see. They're definitely going to be at least a wild card team this year. NL wild card teams, Atlanta, San Diego, Philly, Atlanta, San Diego. I think they're right there, going to stay at wild card. Philadelphia, I don't think they can maintain the success they're having right now throughout the rest of the season. So I have the Brewers surpassing the Phillies in the NL wild card, but ultimately, I have the Padres winning it all. Stan has the hot mic now as he asks, how about a summary of players in key positions on the Zip football team, their high school and key stats? Pat, you're the Zips enthusiast up here. This is a Zips football question. Take it away, man. So 
All right, who do you want me to start with? Is the uh, is the question here? Because I have a few players that I can I can go. Do you want me to just just go by like who's the most well known on our team, like in the area, or you can just talk about players in key positions and all right. high school stats. So, That's what he's looking for. I gotta first of all give it to the goat of the team, Bubba Arcelanian, one of the coolest guys I've ever had the opportunity to actually meet. I have met him before. He's a really cool guy. Um, he played literally just a few minutes up the road at Aurora. Went to high school at Aurora High School, and he has been one of our best defensive players that we've had in the past few years. Um, unfortunately, last year's season did get cut short when he got injured during the, the game against Ohio State. But uh, right now, he has 212 total tackles. You can't complain with that. He's sitting uh, right now with about uh, 35 sacks. I mean, like I said, you can't complain with how he's been playing for us. Gotta love Bubba and everything that he has done for uh, our yeah. team. And he's from Aurora, Ohio. Went to Hometown high school boy. in Aurora. I'll talk about DJ Irons for a little bit. He was born in Georgia and attended Iowa Central Community College before coming to the University of Akron. In his debut game for Akron against Auburn, he went a perfect 13 for 13 for 129 yards and a touchdown. Of course, Irons is also known for his dual threat ability and has 296 career rushing yards for the Zips as well. Hopefully that was what you were looking there for there, Stan. And the last question, a last-minute entry, we have Matt Kapler with the hot mic. And another Zips question you'd love to see it, he asks, what's the Zips record this year and why does Caesars have us at only two and a half? They have us at only two and a half because historically in the past four years, we have been coached by one of the worst head coaches to ever grace the face of the <laughs> earth in any sport uh, in Tom Arth. We all know how I feel about Tom Arthur here. Um, we're going to go out and we're going to shock the world here, okay, because I actually have us starting at worst 2-2 two and two to start the season at best 3-1. and one. So that's my prediction for the start of the season. I see no reason why we can't end the season at at least 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five with a bowl game appearance and winning the MAC championship. Ooh. Um, I would actually agree with Pat, honestly. I think it's just a matter of the stigma of how we used to be. Uh, definitely agree that the Zips make a run this year. It'll be more than... It'll be more than 2.5 wins. Matt, I appreciate you being a consistent listener every week, too. You're always texting me throughout the show. Thanks for the question, and thanks for listening. And not to mention that this will be the year, and you can quote me on this now. We will bring the wagon wheel back to Akron. Kent State will no longer have it after this season, and it will remain in Akron for the next 10 to 15 years. We will dominate Kent State from here on out, and they should be terrified of what the Zips have become. Kent State eats pizza with a fork. They do. (laughs) Stealing some of Dan's lines there. Yeah, yeah, I am. I see you. Um, Yeah, I have the Zips winning around five, six games as well. I think they're going to shock some people in the MAC, but I I don't have them going too far in terms of a MAC tournament or just a a MAC bowl game and then a a bowl game down the line either. So we'll see what happens for the Akron Zips this season. And that is our first edition of Hot Mike, everyone. Thank you for all the questions. And if you didn't know that it existed before today's show, well, now you do. No, you drop all the questions on Wednesdays at WZIP Sports. I'll post it every single Wednesday for Hot Mike. And we welcome all the questions. Even Cam, who asked seven questions this week, will answer them all each and every single week. So we hope you all enjoyed that 
segment. All right. Well, that will do it for the August 7th edition of Sports Power Talk. We had our very special coverage of the Hall of Fame festivities to kick off today's show. Then, of course, we talked about the latest in the NFL and MLB with the first edition of Hot Mike. Any lost thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Kent, nobody likes you. Go home. Wagon Reels coming back to Akron. Um, Arsenal's the best team in the Premier League. Logan, I will fight you over that. And go Steelers. Go Zips. We're the best sports talk show in the world. Fantastic show today. Uh, great coverage from out in Canton from Matt and Marcus. Uh, excellent job. Thank you for all the content. At Jake Marina Goat, once again, <laughs> keep shouting me out on Twitter. I'm enjoying it. As much as you don't like me, I do enjoy the content you're giving. Shout out Ashley. Always shout out my family. And go Zips. Let's go Zips indeed. For me, I really enjoyed our Hall of Fame coverage. I wish the phones would have worked to start today's show. We did have some technical complications, but I hope you all enjoyed it nonetheless. I want to thank everyone that worked hard to put that together, including Marcus Anderson and Matt Pramuka, who covered the roundtable event today. Dan Groen, who worked on that great package on out-of-town fans. And, of course, our general manager here at WZIP, Chris Kepler, for making this all possible. Hot Mike was so much fun, and it isn't going anywhere. We'll post it every Wednesday on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. That way you can get all involved in the show each and every week. Check out our podcast, SBT Rewind and SBT Overtime, wherever you get your podcasts as Fantasy Football makes its debut on Overtime tomorrow. From Matt Permuka and Marcus Anderson, live in Canton 2. Logan Congrove. And Patrick Weber. In the studio, I'm Jake Murren signing off. We'll see you same time and place next week for more Sports Power Talk.